0: So in Battle Scribe I think you have to go in and add Forge World. You have to, what you have to do is you oh. have to it's under a different Battlescribe list, so it's you'd be an HQ under the Adeptus Astardes Forge World. It's oh. it's a weird thing and it comes up whenever I like I put the Chitin in oh, okay. my world leaders list, you have to actually go in and add another force and kind of just ignore the errors. Maybe when GW makes a list building app, it'll uh, it'll include Forge World too. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? You did say that out loud. <laughs> that was that was meant to be one of my own. That was an under the breath comment. No, maybe,
1: maybe you should just hold your breath till that happens, Kevin.
0: Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Undergopher Network, Warhammer 40k podcast. I'm your host, Rob.
2: Kevin, Dennis,
1: and Richard
0: And this is episode 186 We have worked through our technical difficulties All four of us are here, if not In person, one at least one of us remotely But we are all here together And it's near the end of the year and we have Chapter Approved and Vigilist Defiant In our hands and so I think our main focus today is going to Be chapter approved because there is A lot in that book to chew Through, but we, I think during news and new Releases we'll touch on uh, Vigilist Defiant A bit because I, I do want to Discuss that it has fewer rules implications but also some neat stuff going on but first as always news and new releases such as vigils to chapter approved and your listener mail uh news and new releases most of the stuff through the end of the year we already covered in our last episode like wrath and rapture went this is we're recording on the 16th wrath and rapture went up for pre-order yesterday and that is the combination Age of Sigmar 40k, uh, Corn Demons versus Slanesh Demon Box that has the new Flesh Hounds and the new Herald and Fiends for Slanesh. Uh, so that will be coming out next week, along with the new old Noise Marine with the, uh, platform boots and the, and the Mohawk. <laughs> and it's like, I want to pick it up, but I, I mean, I can po- paint decently well, obviously, but, uh, I, I don't know if I can quite do that thing justice. And, well, and I don't think you have to do the leopard print. Oh, well, like, but I the leopard print is like <laughs> integral to the design of the thing.
2: If they had a whole band, I might be interested in maybe actually taking on um, a Chaos Marine chapter.
0: Just but, so but not feel ju- not for just the one.
2: Not, well, I mean, I, I would the one, but I'd have to field them on the table sometimes. So I'd have to have a chapter to fill. Now, now
0: them. the question is: Is it going to include rules for like a combi noise weapon, since it does have a bolter built into its guitar? It Should it really should? <laughs> I, I want, I want a combi noise weapon.
2: I, I just want the the noise band marine like unit.
0: Well, and <laughs> with wrath and rapture, I, I don't know. It 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 doesn't feel like we're getting our big slanesh push yet, although. No. Uh, they're hinting more and more that like Slanesh is going to come out swinging on Age of Sigmar soon. That it that, and
2: then that'll trickle into forty. I, I
0: think that will. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll see those models. Kind of like what they did with the uh, like. Here's the new Great Unclean one. Oh, and by the way, you know, here's Chaos Demons and the and all the new rules for all the new Nurgle stuff too. Because they were rolling that out mostly for like Maggotkin of Nurgle for Age of Sigmar. So, uh, so that. Those are coming soon. Um, this week also saw the the release besides of, besides Vigilus and uh, chapter approved of the new what Harken World Claimer or World. What's his name? Yeah. Harken World Claimer. Is it World also Claimer? Known as, yeah. Okay, also, known as, uh, <laughs> also known as Generic Raptor Lord because his rules are not very good. No. <laughs> <laughs> not that That's generic. He's still Black good. Legion. You're still stuck with wow. that. Yeah. He converted a little bit. Get some files out. No, it's a beautiful model. But yeah, it's kind of an underwhelming special character. But eh. and then uh, Primaris Disco Inferno Calgar. Yeah. Primaris Mm -hmm. Marnius
1: Calgar. Yeah. And then I picked up something. Oh, what did you pick up? Ooh, is that the one of the little, paint kit little little kill team box? Oh, the kill team yeah, box! I,
2: I saw that when I went up there, and I was like, "Man, this is a really cool thing." And and the guy behind the counter said, "Yeah, they actually had kill team versions of them, but they sold out immediately. So this is their restocking and just making them generic."
0: Yeah, because <laughs> I remember I think I did see the kill team ones, which like had the the orange like skull Ur, yeah. Aquila, right? And then they yeah. also did like. Shadespire
1: versions of these, too. Right. The, the, the Shadespire ones are a little bit bigger than this, but yeah. No, it's the, really the, sweet. The Kill Team's kind of little. It's cute.
0: If you're, Yeah, but if you're only carrying around a Kill Team of like yeah. 10, and, 10 models and or something. And that's so. what
1: I, I saw that. I thought, man, this would be
2: perfect for a Kill Team. And that's when the guy said, yeah, that's actually, cool. that's what they were designed for. I'm like, oh, yep. I should be a designer.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is cool that you brought that, Richard, so we can see the insides of it.
0: Well, it's like the other cases they've right, done yeah. with. It's got the, zigzag, the foam. zigzag foam.
2: The
1: zigzag foam. Which I kind of like.
2: And it's spacious enough. You could put maybe not a brick of dice in there, but a few dice inside the zigzags.
0: Mm, I don't know. Yeah, I'm. If they were scattered throughout the zigzags. Well, yeah. you know, one one
2: zigzag it. for all your dice.
0: <laughs> uh, nah, okay, maybe not. Probably not. Probably not. Okay. I'd still carry. Well, you won't also fit your rule book and all your other stuff. Yeah, I, it will not fit a rule book. No, it's, it's a little too not. small for yeah. a rule
2: book. But for just carrying a kill team around, it looks pretty awesome.
0: Yeah. Yep. But uh, so yeah, that no, that looks pretty cool. Um, other than that, and I think they've got like their paint, their like new paint tray paint, hobby kits. Yeah, kids. the
1: paint trays are are out too.
0: Although I don't know how often I carry around paint to like if i did a lot of like traveling and doing hobby stuff or yeah. if i had a, like a mobile like if i didn't have a dedicated workspace and i had to kind
1: of move around i could definitely see that being a thing like i i picked one i like i was at the store and i picked one up to look at it uh-huh um and i considered getting one but then i just had to remind myself of like what combination of like i use <laughs> some citadel paints and then I use other non, lots of other non Citadel paints. So and this that doesn't only help fits, me. yeah. This only fits the yeah.
0: Citadel, which is like, yeah. One of the things I'm I'm looking at is getting some of those like MDF cut like paint stations where you can like stack up all your paints mm-hmm. so you can see them all. Because like right now mine are in drawers and they're not as well organized as I like them. But, like you, it's like, I've got a number of paints that are, like, Vallejo-sized dropper bottles, and then I've got a lot of Citadel stuff, and like, well, whatever I get will only work for one or the other, because they're just not close enough to work together. So, yeah, if you only use Citadel, that might be useful, but, yeah, for someone like you or me that uses a blend, and then, which, as we talked with Alex at the uh, hobby thing, a lot of people transfer their Citadel paints over to dropper bottles these days anyway. Yeah. So... Uh, your mileage may vary. You might find it to be amazingly useful. Not quite a good fit for us, of course. I said the same thing about the painting handle, and I've learned to the shut up about hand- that. Painting
1: handles are awesome.
0: Yeah, I've, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe in like six months, I'll come back. And be like, why did I not get the <laughs> this? I have all paint trays now. <laughs> well, so the interesting thing for me is like, there's some of the stores here in Phoenix do like, ah, you know, Tuesday night paint night or whatever. So okay, I'm pr- I could probably pick one of these up. Where. Yeah, like pick up a
1: small one and then be like, okay, here are the ten paints I need in the bottles and pack it up and go.
3: So okay, see, so I, I
0: that-
1: can
3: definitely see the utility to it.
1: And and I know some like I think they have like spots where like their brand clippers and mm-hmm. and uh, the flash remover and and those like tools will actually also fit into it. Okay, so it. I mean, it's an interesting product, and and I'm sure some people will find use for it
0: yeah yeah so yeah if it sounds like something that's that's uh you know going to be a fit for you dad definitely check it out i've I've seen reviews that seem like and it sounds like the paints do lock in pretty closely so they you know it's like you don't have to worry about your pots coming loose although i'm curious also curious how that's going to work with like the shade pots and the texture pots being like twice as tall
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah that's I don't a good know. question so yeah I'd, so, You just yeah. have to, you just have to buy two. Well, one, one for regular paints and the other for the shades. Oh,
0: they that's how they get you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, but other, other than that, I don't, I think we're, you know, and then of course, like all the gift boxes and like army bundles and stuff they've got right. coming out. Like, and I think the, the one of note in there is strangely enough, the Imperial Fists one, because it actually has a new upgrade sprue for just Imperial Fists
3: mm-hmm. for like well, I-
0: Imperial Fists Primaris. And it's also the one that gave us the uh, in Primaris power fist, right? Because I don't think we had that before. Yeah, uh, other than like on one of the captain poses or something mm-hmm. like that. Because, like in in chapter approved, and skipping ahead a little bit, they've got a new data data sheet for the Intercessor Squad. Specifically, now that you can take a power fist on your uh, sergeant. Yeah. So. so. Yeah. That. So that is now a, a a fully viable option, and we have rules, and now a screw that has it um which makes me wonder if they're going to ever like do a repack of intercessors like with that added option or not although it'd have to be like a full new release at this point yeah i could see them releasing maybe that upgrade sprue as a as a thing and being like here's you know here's primaris sergeant upgrade sprue or something and yeah like they do with the space wolves and you know, the various chapter upgrades brews. Yeah, they could know. definitely sell. Yeah, they, they could easily sell that as because you wouldn't need many of them. You'd, you'd buy like one or two. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I think we're pretty much, you know, everything's kind of locked down for the rest of the year. So we just are waiting what January will bring as far as new products. Now, like I said, our main topic today is going to be talking chapter approved, but I did want to spend some time on Vigilist Defiant uh, because... It's kind, you know. It's the first of the eighth edition campaign books they've done, and I like where they're going with it. I don't know if I would quite say that. You know, they kind of described it as being like the Horace Heresy level ones. Obviously, the production value is not quite like full leather binding and everything. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but no the the plots the plot is interesting. Um, so basically. I think we talked a little about it a little bit last episode. Vigilus is a world that defends like the one safe passage through the Great Rift, and there's an orc wall that has landed on the planet. Is basically it, you know, it's like kind of a hive planet. There's like four or five major like hive cities, practically hive continents on the on the planet, and the orcs have basically landed on everywhere else and have turned the whole thing into a racetrack. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's like they they even call it the speed uh, But th- you know, they've built some like scrap cities where they're like building new like you know building uh various walkers and vehicles and such and uh, so they're they're attacking the various hive sprawls on this planet and then at the same time there's a uh, there's the the cult of the Popper Princes which is a gene stealer cult. That has decided now is the time to rise up because now then we'll we'll throw off the Imperium and then we'll fight against the orcs because how dare they attack attack our home while we are waiting for the Great Ascension. So they're trying to take over and doing things like poisoning the water supply with genetic material to make everybody more susceptible to gene stealer uh, mind control. Yeah, and this is a planet that has very little water of its own, so that's you know kind of a major problem. Uh, so, at the same time, the Dark Eldar have, there's, like, a a portal to the webway in the Arctic regions, and the the Dark Eldar are, like, yeah, this is a perfectly good time to start raiding while everyone's busy. Uh, the Eldar show up at some point to try to help or give a warning. Everyone thinks, ah, more invaders shoots them, and then they come back pissed. Yeah. And... (laughs) Marnius Calgar decide like basically Bobby G tells Marnius Calgar to go and help take care of this because this world cannot fall and so a bunch of space marines show up and most of the plot is them dealing with oh and the death guard also show up with a bunch of gellerpox infected to like seed chaos as well and then at like the very end of the narrative the black legion shows up ta da you know just it's and that's like where the, that that's literally this is definitely a part one of an ongoing series because it 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 ends kind of on a cliffhanger the big battle against the black legion has not happened yet
2: it just sounds like a what could go worst keeps going worse
0: well i mean that's the imperium <laughs> right it's, it you know it's what's our joke about like russian history also applies to imperium history it, then it, gets worse. yeah the imperium imperium's <laughs> and, history and is somehow, somehow it, it got worse <laughs> Well, so kind of following up on the part one aspect of this, uh, the day yesterday, the day that this the book was released, uh, GW on the Warhammer community site put up a, you know, Harkin world claimer, like trailer. And it was one of those where like he throws a spirit out and he says something like, you know, 80 days until, you know, until the storm comes or something. And then there's now a countdown timer for 80 days. So sometime in early March, they're going to, I would assume, announce the follow up. Yeah, ends. so we'll get book two, and then... Yeah, so... Also, I was very happy to see that the the Sisters of Battle actually had an active role to play on the world. They weren't just kind of relegated to... Oh, and there were sisters there. <laughs> they showed up as fancy hats. No, they did not show <laughs> up as fancy. In fact, one group that does not show up at all is the uh, Grey Knights, so there's no one to make them into hats. <laughs> uh, uh. But yeah, there's lots of, like, color-coded maps showing, like, Various divisions and chapters, and like making moves, and there's a lot of like sacrificial plays to like some of which is yeah we have to sacrifice this hive sprawl like this entire one because it's it's unsavable or we have to hold back our you know our forces we could we might overextend ourselves. So it's it's an interesting read. I actually read through the entirety of the battle and it's or, or the the campaign so far and it's it's interesting. And then they've got a campaign system in here that's basically just. You earn points through the campaign system and then whoever has the most at the end wins. But they, they mean you to play through this in like eighteen weeks. So eighteen times yeah, so actually more than eighty days. But uh <laughs> but the the campaign's broken into like three phases so far, and each phase is six rounds long, and they even say in the books, like you might do a round, you know, if you do this, do it at about a round a week. But then they also give you Extra, like, each round has special rules that apply, like uh, round one of first phase, like uh, the orcs get one inch to all advance and charge moves. The Imperium adds one to the leadership characteristic of all their units. However, if a player's army is battleforged and includes units from more than one of the following factions, which is Sororitas, Mechanicus, and Astro Militarum, subtract one from their total number of command points because they can't agree among each other. <laughs> And then you get extra campaign points if you play – like, they give you a number of missions in the book. And then, of course, you can run – like, you can play any mission. But, like, you get – everybody who plays these missions gets bonus points if they play these particular missions. So they're really trying to get you to go through the campaign kind of as it plays out in the story. And then they give you uh, special events tables that you can roll on uh, to just kind of mix up the – mix up games a bit. They give you, like, 12 different missions in here to use. Uh, most of them have extra stratagems to use. So there's a lot of – you know, it's very much a narrative playbook for the most part. And if you're looking for a campaign that's really has all the details spelled out for you of, like, where to start, how to score it, how often to play it, here's a bunch of missions you can use, this is actually a really good one. Uh, now, the campaign does not have any Necrons, say, or – uh, tau or even much in the way of chaos space marines yet uh, some of those factions just don't show up some of them only are just now showing up but like necrons and tower aren't going to be involved at all from what we understand because it's not anywhere well i mean necrons are everywhere but this isn't a necron tomb world and the tower far away from here so it doesn't really apply so if you're playing one of those two factions it might not be a good campaign for you but uh for a lot of other factions get to to play in this. I imagine NIDs might be showing up eventually in book two because of where gene stealer cults are involved, NIDs tend to follow.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I I think it's you know, if you're looking for something that tells some interesting stories. In fact, one of the battle zones they have is a gene stealer infestation where <laughs> like gene stealers just pop up and start fighting things. <laughs> And they give you like war zone rules for the various different sprawls and locations. So the like you basically say, like, we're gonna fight a city, we're gonna fight in like the OTEC hive sprawl. And here are the missions that you can use here, here's some narrative ideas, here's an optional rule you can use if you want, and then like here's some scenery rules that like you roll on a chart and this like you pick something on the board and it has has special rules. Like for okay, for like every two foot square you roll in like this square has two ruins and uh, artillery is suppressed. Uh, or yeah, It's basically like to build out your battle zones for you if you want. You don't have to do that, obviously, but this kind of gives you an idea of where you can go with that. So, uh, I mean, just a lot of material here for somebody who may have no – they want to do narrative play, but they have no idea where to start. This is actually a really good way to jump in. Now, the reason I think most people are going to be looking for this book is the whole specialist detachment rule rule set that they threw in, which, again, is going to be more more narrative-focused. So the factions that are covered here are the ones that are actually active in the campaign. So sorry, Necron and Tau players, you need not apply for this book right now. (laughs) But the idea of this is – and we discussed this a little bit when it was kind of being released and leaked at uh, last episode. But, yeah, you basically – you build any – you can build your army however you want – But if one of your detachments has – like, you can spend points on – it's almost always, I think, one-point stratagem to make that detachment a – special, make one of your detachments a specialist detachment. And then – so, we'll just say – we'll take the very first – one of the very first ones here. Actually, it is the first one, the Indominus Crusaders detachment. Spend one CP. You pick a Space Marine detachment from your army to be an Indominus Crusaders specialist detachment. Primaris Captains, Primaris Lieutenants, Primaris Ancients, Intercessor Squads, and Inceptor Squads in the Detachment gained the Indominus Crusader keyword. That's, that's the stratagem. The stratagem doesn't do anything. This is not like a, a formation where you, you, build, you build to a certain set of restrictions and boom, you get free rules. Not exactly. You do it unlocks things, but it doesn't give you any free bonuses and definitely no free units. Those days are long gone and goodbye. Glad to see them go. <laughs> but in this case, like uh it unlocks a new warlord trait, and there is a stratagem that you can spend a command point. If your warlord, let's say you're warlord, you have somebody else's your warlord. If you have a specialist attachment and you have a specialist you have a character that would gain the keyword from that specialist attachment. You spend a command point to make that character count as a warlord for the purpose of getting this warlord trait. So you can still get the benefit even if this isn't your primary warlord detachment type thing. So, for example, the Indominus Crusaders uh, gains the, the... It's a great... If you have an Indominus character Crusader, they can get this warlord trait uh, once per called Gray Shield. Once per battle at the start of your movement phase. If your warlord is on the battlefield, you choose an Indominus Crusader... You can choose four units, and they actually used F-O-R instead of F-O-U-R. Typo. (laughs) Choose four Indominus Crusader units in the same detachment as your Warlord to gain an additional chapter tactic until the start of your next turn. Pick the additional chapter tactic from the following. Codex Discipline, Lightning Assault, Siege Masters, Righteous Zeal, Master Artisans, Shadow Masters, Flesh is Weak. So those are basically standard uh, Space Marine chapter tactics. Until the start of your next turn, friendly Indominus Crusaders gain the benefit of that chapter tactic in addition to others they already have. They're considered to have the keyword of that chapter or of the chapter that chapter tactic belongs to for the purpose of resolving it. And then that unlocks a relic. Uh, it unlocks, actually, this one unlocks two possible relics. because one. Uh, and then this one unlocks, like, five different stratagems. So, like, for example, Veteran Intercessors use the stratagem before the battle begins. Uh, pick an Indominus Crusader Intercessor squad to be veterans. That unit gains the veteran keyword, and in addition, one of their add one to the attacks and leadership characteristics of that unit. And then there are other units that other stratagems that key off of veteran intercessors. So uh, it's kind of like a tiered thing with spending stratagem points. So you could burn through a lot of a lot of your CP very quickly on this, especially on this particular one. But it unlocks a bunch of new options that you have. And all of these work kind of the same way. Uh, ultramarines get a uh, Vitrix Guard uh, detachment, which is all focused on, like, uh, Captains, Ancients, Honor Guard, Vanguard Vets, stern guard Vets. Uh, Imperial Fists get a Siegebreaker Cohort, which includes Captains, Centurions, Dreadnoughts, and Vindicators. Crimson Fists get... Uh, Primaris characters, Intercessor squads, Reaver squads, and Hellblaster squads get a Liberator strike Force keyword. Black Templars are all focused on their veterans because uh, it's the Sword Brethren. Ravenwing, yeah, Dark Angels get one for the Ravenwing. Uh, Spacels get a Stalker Pack, which is all Blood Battle Leaders, Blood Claws, and Reavers. The uh, Mechanicus get two with uh, the Cybernetica cohort, which is all built around Castellan robots, and the Servitor Manipole, which is all built around Cataphron, Preachers and destroyers. Gene Stealer cults get two for the Anointed Throng, which is all about abominance and aberrance, and one that is all acolytes, uh, neophytes, and Goliath trucks. Eldar get two. One is uh, all about wind, r- one is a wind rider host, so it's all jet bikes all the time, and then a wraith host, which is all wraith constructs. And literally, it's the wraith construct keyword, so everything from wraith guard all the way up to a wraith knight. Guard get four. No, far, pardon me. Five guard get five because there's one for Militarum tempestus specifically, but a lot of them are kind of revisits on old formations. They had like the Emperor's Wrath artillery company, the Emperor's Fist tank company. So hey, rules for for actually playing a full on tank company, but it's going to cost you CP. You're going so it's like like I said, I don't want to get like too deep into the weeds on any of the rules for these um, orcs get a stompa mob, a cult of speed, the. And the dreadwaa and a blitz brigade. So orcs, of course, orcs are like one of the primary players in this. So it makes sense that they would get the most. And this also helps support like four different styles of play for orcs too, which is Mm -hmm. cool. Now I like that each of these, uh, you know, like you don't have to particularly build your army a certain way to like make benefit of these attachments. So like for example, the very first one we talked about, like, is the the indominus crusaders. You don't have to build like a bunch of primaris marines to to take the specialist attachment you just don't get any benefit if you don't have them in there right so it it's gonna if you want to build a ultramarines or not even ultramarines but if you just want to build a primaris space marine detachment you can build it and then oh i can spin command points to make it this and make it a little bit better and make it play in some different ways and i think that's a really interesting way to get more flavor into list building absolutely and it's you know again all of these are narratively thematic none of them feel like they you know they unlock stratagems none of I mean the stratagems are good but again they only will key off of certain units if you take the specialist attachment you know stratagem as well mm-hmm. so it really does encourage you to build thematically and to get the most out of this you're going to do that i don't know if any of them are going to be like so powerful that you're like oh people are going to like they're always going to take this one all the time. I mean, the and none of them seem keyed off of any like army builds that we see right now that are like burning up the charts. So mm. the the artillery company and the tank and the tank company might <laughs> <laughs> those are those are ones that I think you're gonna those are the ones that I think you're going to see the most because those armies are already popular on the table. They are, but. As good as they are, I don't know how well some of those are going to work with some of the new mission yeah. things that we're seeing out of like chapter approved, which I would not be surprised if we see absolutely other formats, other mission packs kind of adopting some of those. So um that's just something to keep in mind. Agreed. And Agreed. also, you know, you've got to consider that again, these are mostly being they are match play legal, but they're mostly being created with with narrative play in mind. So sure. think sure. about the like, way how the narrative missions are gonna play out with these. Sure. I just, I think there's a couple, I think the, the wrath, the, uh, the artillery company is one in particular, because I think you're already starting to see, you see a lot of those units already, right? I think that's one that'll be the easiest to adapt to competitive play. If people want to use that,
3: And that's, um, that's true, you know,
0: and the, I mean, so the, the one we're talking about, the emperor's wrath artillery company, just so we can all, all be on the same page here. It's a specialist attachment uh you choose a, an Astro military detachment from your army to be an emperor's wrath specialist detachment company commanders masters of ordnance basilisks hydras wyverns and that detachment gain the emperor's wrath keyword so this could be a battalion could be a brigade could be a spearhead detachment depending on yep. how you you know so you're not limited to one particular type of detachment and then what you gain is the warlord gains lord of ordnance each time you uh each time you roll a wound roll of 6+ plus... For an attack made by a friendly Emperor's Wrath unit while they're within six inches of your Warlord in the shooting phase, the armor penetration characteristic of that attack is improved by one. That's not too bad. It's only on wound rolls of a six, so definitely could be worse. Um, Their stratagems are Suppressive Fire for one CP. Uh, Use the stratagem at the start of your shooting phase. Pick an Emperor's Wrath vehicle unit from your army. That unit cannot shoot this phase. Instead, it lays down Suppressive Fire. Pick an enemy infantry unit that is within range of at least one of its weapons. Until the start of your next turn, that unit or that enemy unit cannot fire overwatch and has its move characteristic. If you've got an enemy unit that is is coming at your lines, it's a good way to pin them down. Although with the artillery, you're probably better off just killing them. Just saying. True, true. And especially with the other one, which is Pounding Barrage 2 CP, so a bit more expensive. And again, like I said, you've already spent one just to get the detachment. Um, use a stratagem at the start of your shooting phase. Pick an Emperor's Wrath vehicle unit from your army. Pick one of those ranged weapons that unit can shoot twice with that weapon this phase, which is going to be Basilisks or Wyverns all day, every day. Right. Well, and and the thing where I see that this could potentially, I say not be abused or anything, but potentially could come up in match play is that stratagem right there is super, super useful. And I think that you could see, I would, I could see someone going, okay, for, a few extra command points that I'm already getting because I'm taking probably, you know, the lucky 32 or something like that. Um, you know, I'm not hurting for command points with, with uh Astro Militarum. Okay. I'm already taking uh Wyverns for example, as my anti-infantry. So I build a spearhead with just Wyverns. I make it this, and then I spend one or two command points just so that every turn I'm double tapping with one of those. Right. I, I could see that being a useful strategy. That's the one that like of all of these seems like the most clear and useful of like, okay, this stratagem is really good. So how do I build to that stratagem? And we've seen that before with, you know, the um, like Sam Han uh, shining spears and things like that, where people, you know, in, at competitive levels, people go in and build specific lists to get used to a really good stratagem. True. That is true. So I could that's one that I could see offhand that looks like it would be the one that's going to come up the most. The other ones are all good. And like I said, they're all good and nice and fluffy, but that's the one where I like I look at it immediately and go, wow, that's for two command points, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, it is. It is. And I will Matt, you know, we'll see how that plays out. And I imagine if it proves to be problematic, it'll get a di- they'll mm-hmm. probably errata the book and maybe make it a three CP. Because yeah, I think I, I think functionally it's not a bad you know it it's not a broken stratagem, but I could see maybe seeing how what kind of impact it has on on match play and adjusting it appropriately. Yeah, and I'm not gonna I'm not saying that like oh it's broken it needs to be fixed right now. I'm just saying that's one that jumps out to me. If like oh this is good, I could see people building to this because that's a good strategy to be able to take you know wyverns or Basilisks or Hydras and be able to double tap with them. Right. But yeah, all, all in all, I think I, I'm 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 liking what I see from Vigilist Defiant. I hope we see more campaign books like this. So we'll see, yeah, if, if in 80 days we get a Vigilist Part 2 Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah, the campaign books they were doing at the end of 7th were some of the best things that they put out during 7th, in my opinion. So I'm really excited that they're back to that now. Yes. So, well... They've, they they kind of had to start doing that because they're running out of running out of codexes. We now have one codex that hasn't been updated in some format from the index. I'm not counting Inari, but you know we're waiting on Gene Stealer Cults. We know they're coming. I imagine that's probably going to be the big January release. Is yeah. Gene Stealer Cults? Uh, but otherwise, now with uh, Sisters getting updated and Chapter Approved with their beta codex, um, that you know we're. the the clock is ticking for when it's going to have to be campaign books to keep the game going. Yeah. And I'm fine with that. Yeah, I'm fine with that. It's like everybody's, the codexes are out. Everybody's, I don't want to say on the same level, but everybody's kind of got access to a lot of the same things rather than starting the codex cycle again. I, you know, which I'd rather they not. (laughs) I'd, I'd like to have them maybe in a couple of years, I could see them revisiting some codexes but for right now, I'm kind of good with campaign books and chapter approved being the way they they keep the game updated. Yeah. And I think that pretty much is it for uh, we're going to dive deep into chapter approved uh, in the second part of the show. But uh, first up, uh, as always, your listener mail and the, all these letters are written by you, the listeners. So if you have a... Uh, A letter that you want us to read or a question for us or a list you want us to take a look at, we'll tell you how to do that at the end of the segment. So the first one is from our friends WarCorgi. WarCorgi writes, Hi guys, WarCorgi here again. Great work on the show. It remains my favorite 40K podcast for so many reasons I don't have time to recount them here. Your latest episode was my first introduction to Tournament Cuts. And frankly, I'm horrified by the idea. I know Renegade Open is not alone in employing a cut. They seem to be very popular with the FFG crowd. And upon reflection, I realize that LVO also employs a cut, although only after six games have been played by all of the players. It seems to further encourage winning at all costs at the expense of the casual player. I would be highly upset if I traveled many miles for a weekend of 40K only to find those games cut short because I did not have success on the tables. I've asked in a few places and no one has given me an answer as to why tournament organizers employ a cut other than it is more competitive and helps determine a winner. This makes no sense to me as we have no problems determining a winner without a cut system. Anyways, I would really appreciate it if you guys could discuss the pros and cons of cuts. Thanks as always for the great podcast. Um, I will admit that I am not a fan of cuts the way it was done at Renegade Open.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah.
0: And go, well, go ahead, Kevin. So I, I, so I I, because I, I, I think I know in general where we're going to come down on this. So I want to kind of put the pro argument out there first, <laughs> even though I know that I and I'll say this up front. I don't even necessarily buy this argument, but I'm going to put the pro argument forward uh, and then we'll go through and we'll tear it down and we'll say why we think it's a bad idea. Um, the pro argument is. It it does make the event more competitive by going through and saying, OK, after six rounds or in the LVO's case or in uh, renegade opens case three rounds. We're going to cut to a top eight. So just those competitive players, and we're going to kind of c- consolidate the competitiveness of the players. And then everyone else can go like restart on day two and play in a new RTT and you start over fresh. You still have a chance. You had a bad day one. You know what? You start over fresh here. Day two, you can go win your other events. So, I understand it. Like that's the pro side of it is that you're trying, you are making it more competitive, but you're kind of consolidating the competitive and you're trying to reset for everybody else. That's not in that competitive group. It works better if you have six rounds and you're doing like an LVO style where you still get two- six full games in, and then you take the top eight and you do a knockout. Yeah. That's the best format for this. Um, on the con side of it. Yeah. Three rounds is not enough. To I, to for me to go through and and say okay after three rounds you didn't you didn't win your games by so much so many points that you're not in the top sixteen so we're gonna cut you it's that yeah that, know, that, no yeah. that's that's where I kind of fall like it, the cut system works really well when you have a huge pile you know a huge pool of players like mm-hmm. LVO is what something like four hundred and fifty some players. Yeah. So you have an event there where after six rounds, you know who's in the running for the top spot. Everybody else, like you said, they've gotten their six games in. Most of the, there's very, other than like the people right at the cusp, they kind of know going in, seeing how each game rolls, especially with something like best coast pairings, where you can see how everybody's scoring as the day goes on. You kind of know where you're going to fall. And -hmm. you kind of know going into like games, going into game six, if you have to win it or not to make the cut, and how much you have to win by, so you know you, you've kind of mentally prepped yourself. Three rounds may not be enough for that, especially because I think they didn't quite have as many players at Renegade as they were hoping. So yeah. Um, yeah. Now, also a little bit of background on Renegade. Renegade for for them to go to cuts is not as drastic a change as you might think, because in past years they've gone to a pod system. Which is yes. effectively the same right. thing.
1: Right, it's basically just less granular pods.
0: Right. Yes. Yeah. Because so, so the pod system was, they basically took every like every eight places got moved into their own eight person RTT with the top pod being the one that was going for winning the whole thing, and then each pod underneath that had its own like its own bracket, its own price support.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Now pods have some one some of the same arguments that you know, against them, you know, they they have some of the same pros and cons. So like the pro on a pod system, just kind of like the pro of the cut system, is you go into day two after your first three rounds, you go into day two fresh. You are in your own little tournament against people who ranked similarly to you. So you've got a more even chance to possibly come out as come out as the winner of that particular eight person tournament and win something. So your know, your your first three rounds are kind of like they're, they're more seeding rounds than anything else. The con is the divisions especially get salty around the divisions between player eight and player nine. Yep. Because yep. the person who, who got nine and the person who got eight may have the same record and and usually do. And it's just the number of battle points they got that may separate them. And once you're in pod two, you have no way to climb back up to pod one. You're locked in and you will only ever get pod two. Same with cuts. If you don't make the top eight cut for this tournament or the top 16 or what have you, you're never going, you know, there's, they're not going to like, Oh, this person lost really badly in the 16th seed. Oh, looks like we'll bring in the alternate. That doesn't happen. You're out. You're done. It is more competitive in that it encourages people to play as hard as they can, to score as many points as they can. It's, it's competitive to get into that spot. It makes people play harder to get into the top spots is it good for the pe- for the casual gamers. I've never been a huge f- like we did pods. We tried doing pods the first year we did Midwest Conquest because we were really mm-hmm. kind of following the Renegade uh you know, the Renegade open style of things. What we found with pods and why it didn't quite work for us was one thing there was the the first and second pod split issue of the our best overall player as far as like battle points and hobby was in pod 2. Yep because it was Brett Perkins, and he could not get into pod one. But he did better because he just cleaned up on pod. He was better than everybody else on pod two, and he cleaned up there, or just had better games. And so he won his pod overwhelmingly. That would have actually put him, like if it had just been open at that point, he probably could have worked his way from being like ninth place into being like maybe second place. But that couldn't happen. And that's the same problem with the tournament cut. Um The other problem is a lot of times people would end up playing people they had – and this actually actually happened to you at Renegade. People played somebody they played at day yep. one because, yep. oh, you ended up in the same skill level as this person. Well, you played them once. Well, now you got to play them again, and there's nothing we can do about it because yeah. we've, we've put you into that event. Now, just doing a cut and putting people into a, a standalone like RTT I think is a little better because you have a much larger pool of people within that. So that one's not so bad. The issues with like Renegade specifically seem to be there weren't enough spaces. They didn't plan for enough spaces to be open in the RTT.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
0: And they, had, and now to be fair, to be absolutely fair, the, what they did, the, how they managed the cut was correct. You lose your, you, you don't make the cut first day. You get a free pass into either the RTT or the friendly. It's like, you, mm-hmm. you know, it's like we're basically just going to slot you into one of those
1: two events that you want to be in have fun. The the yeah. main thing they didn't account for was people signing up not for the GT but specifically signing up for the friendly. Right. Yeah. <laughs> was I think the big thing.
0: Right, because suddenly not all the spots are open. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so or or even for the RTTs like somebody's like I can't make it to the whole con but I can come up on Sunday and I want to play in, I'm going to play in the three round RTT. Well, those are spots that need to be set aside for the people that don't make the cut on the main tournament. Right. Or the weird podcasters that travel and only want to play in the final event. <laughs> you know, that type of stuff. But I mean, but, that, uh, yeah. But, you know, so they, they were trying. They definitely were trying to do the right thing. I think they got it worked out. Also, you had the issue of the army building for the RTT and the army building for the friendly were very different. And that was a bit of an issue for people as well. And, and the expectations going into those events were different. Yeah. Uh so the cut is there and especially if you're going to do something where like the final 8 is a single elimination whereas the rest of the tournament wasn't yeah that's where the cut you know when you're shifting formats between like your your qualifying rounds and your finals a cut makes that much cleaner because god it would suck if everybody else had to do single elimination as they got <laughs> later you know later into the game yeah. but no it's i I don't like the the cuts for a two-day event. If you're going to do a larger event like Adepticon or LVO or something like that, and a three-day where you've got two days to get as your kind of qualifier to get to the final event, and then you're doing that you know, winner-take-all like elimination, it works fine. It does make the event more competitive, but if you let people know that going into it, that's fine. That's what you're playing for. Um, it gets a little messy in smaller events because that cutoff isn't isn't quite as clean. And like I said, you can have one game where you don't max out points and that costs you, you know, like I said, that cut between eight and nine and then you're just out. Over six games, that's a lot harder to do. Right. Uh, and I really think that if you are going to do a cut, whether it's on a two-day or a three-day event, you have to have your event, you like whatever your fallback event is, Mm-hmm. And, and in this case, I would probably have one fallback event rather than two. Make sure you have space set aside for everybody yep. that doesn't make the cut. It's like, yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like if they had said everybody that didn't make the cut on day one is automatically entered into the RTT and your record starts over and you're playing for top spot. I think everybody – I think people would have been more comfortable with that knowing that it's like, hey, you get a second chance. You're not going to get the big prize, but you're going to get like best of – I hate to say best of the also-rans – because <laughs> like one of the also rans at Renegade was Andrew Gagneau, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which yeah. is like yeah, because yeah. and again on ba- it was like on Battle Points. So yeah. yeah, well, and that's and that's the thing. Like if you do it that way, you're not really doing a cut. You're basically just saying, hey, the 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 more you know, the the better players are going to go here, and you get to reset and play over here. Everybody still gets their games. You paid for an event. You still get your six games. It's no big deal. I, and and like I said, there can be. An interesting element to that, because from a competitive sense, it does make the competition a little more truer. In that, like we get down to the final eight, and it's the best eight here. You know, you're not getting somebody uh, like me, for example, that you're renegade, where I like submarined into like the, the the second pod. Like you're getting just the best people mm-hmm. uh, going into this final round, and everyone else can kind of reset and and play a little more low key and things like that. But you just have to set those expectations clearly before you start and decide what type of event you want to run. Like what we're doing at at Midwest Conquest, we're doing a specific friendly event and then a specific competitive event. If people decide that they want the competitive event to be cutthroat, Boys style, super competitive, that's fine because we're not worried about pubbies getting curb stomped because, well, there's other events they could play in as well and we're going to try to direct those people to the event that fits their play style a little bit more. Right. I think there are ways to do the cut and a lot of it is just planning and communication and making sure Mm -hmm. that it's clear what the purpose of it is Mm -hmm. and where, you know, and if that falls, that's where I think if renegade had any issues, I think it was on the communication. I think not everybody was clear on what was going on and how, how everybody, and they were doing this a new way. And I think it, it, it didn't, you know, it had, it basically had a few, few wrinkles they didn't iron out. Next year, they may have it, you know, smooth that. So, in theory, a cut is not necessarily a bad thing. It's, it's how you carry it out and make sure that it doesn't impact the more casual players. It doesn't impact, you know, it doesn't remove their ability to play. Cause, yeah, if you were told that after day day one, you're just out of the tournament, that's bad. But if yeah. you tell like, yeah, so on day two, we we're mo- you almost have to say we're moving the top eight into a different event and everybody else continues to play. Yeah. With just reset records, which is basically what the cut is. It just it's how you communicate it in. in I, I would tend to prefer to just have like a five or six round tournament personally. And like you said, move, you know, like separate the players out so that the, the cash, you know, the more casual, relaxed players who are just there to throw dice, have fun, get some games in, have an event that is more tailored for them. And they don't feel like they're missing out if they didn't make the cut. And then the hardcore players have five or six rounds to play. And maybe somebody who has like a rough day, like game one or game two can still claw their way back up into that top eight. Mm -hmm. All right. Next letter is from Dennis Thomas. Dennis just writes, what is your most liked and least liked model release this year? Which is tough, because really, GW hasn't had that many model releases yeah. this year.
2: That was my hard thing. I was trying to remember what actually came out this year model-wise. Yeah, because
0: yeah. it was mostly codexes with no new models.
2: So, I I can think of my... my I don't even remember if this was year was, was the um, Rogue, oh, Trader yeah, year? Rogue Trader this year? Yeah, Rogue Trader was this
0: year. Rogue Trader and Kill yeah. Team were all this year. Okay,
2: because I, I will go with my... The most liked was probably the Medic from there. Now I've got to find her name. Um, ah. Sanastasia so Mint um <laughs> i love the model and that was one of the reasons why i really really wanted rogue trader because i'm like i love the details that they put on these outfits because mm-hmm. you don't see those in normal models right so I- i'm gonna go with her as my most liked because that actually got me i mean rogue trader pro- probably would have just been a oh there it is on the shelf oh go by but when i actually saw the the models that were coming with them, i'm like those are really cool, uh-huh. and so that's yeah. kind of what drew me into that one, so that one will definitely get my vote for my favorite one for the least favorite. Once again, I don't remember. Something nurgly, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, they, they actually, I think I, I think it technically was in 2018, because Codex Demons, I think, came out at the beginning of the year, I want to say, or yeah, did they? I think so. Because I'm trying to think yeah, of the great, of the, cause, cause the Great Unclean one These and the cool, two... Though. At like the two new uh Nurgle heralds, like the Slobbity Bile Piper and the oh, Those does look fine the too. Script. Yeah, see that's the thing
2: it's um, like They're not my style of thing,
0: but Yeah, th- they didn't do a lot of models that are just like straight up just like meh. Nah. <laughs> yeah. I I think I, I think there's one model they did that I that I don't like. Okay, well you can uh, you can
2: do the note not like first, then tell us a like.
0: Uh okay, well so the like, uh kind of like what you were mentioning from the uh Rogue Trader box the uh, Imperial Missionary Zealot out of uh, Blackstone Fortress is frickin' baller. Yeah. Like, the, the Eviscerator Chain Sword Flamer thing yes. is just
1: oh, Yeah, yeah uh, it's pretty the, awesome.
2: The Eldar Ranger <laughs> got my second place vote for that because right.
0: all the Blackstone
2: Fortress models just look really they sweet.
0: Do. Well, that's the thing. Like, I don't even care about the Eldar Ranger. Like, I, I don't... Like, well, fine, cool, I'll take Elder. yours. Then, <laughs> so then I started looking at the model and I'm like, holy crap, this model's really good. Like, even the, even the models that I don't particularly normally care about, I'm like, this thing is really sharp looking. Like, I, I like this a lot. Yeah, I, I so, can um,
2: <laughs> just get that one model. So I'm, I'm waiting until maybe they sell them separately.
0: Um, the model that I don't like, and I know why they did this. Um, so it, even it's kind of hard for me to even say that it's like, oh, it's a dislike. I don't like the Primaris Calgar because I don't like the classic Disco Inferno pose that he's doing. <laughs> And I know why they did it, because that's the classic model. I just wish they had done something different. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. That one just gets in under the wire. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
1: Richard? Well, I know uh, at first I was uh, probably going to say something out of the Blackstone Fortress box. Um, But then I actually got a chance to put together the Ruck Truck. Squig buggy. Uh huh. And it is just hilarious because there are like, like the back of the truck has like this little thing that's just squished full of squigs with a, with a, with a grot on top, like squishing more squigs down into it. And there's like one guy that's got a squig on a stick that's hanging off the side. And another guy that's got his own, like, squig launcher, let like, you know, strapped onto his back. And he's got a squig in his hand that he's ready to, like, ram down into it to <laughs> shoot off. And it, it is <laughs> such a, a an awesomely characterful, like, little model that that has to probably be my favorite. I, <laughs> I'm actually, I mean, and again, it's not really, it's more of a style thing. Like, I don't actually like the new Fiends. Fair enough. (laughs) I mean... I'm, they're better than the old feed models. That, that's, right. that, that's 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 <laughs> not hard. Easy Although to somebody say. Somebody
0: did point out the fact. You know, and actually, GW pointed out that the fact that the like the front legs and the back legs bend in different directions, so they look like two torsos facing away from each other. But then someone pointed out that that means that the tail coming out from between two of the legs, will um, just stop there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like when you see it, it's like ah. Now I'm not
2: going to go see it. I'm <laughs> going to stay away.
0: <laughs> so for me, my favorite model, as as much as I love uh, I love Pius or, or the the Zealot, which because is an awesome model, also broken as hell in that game. Uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, I actually have to say my favorite model. It is out of Blackstone Fortress. and It's actually more than one model, and it's the the Trader Guardsman. Yeah, the Trader Guardsmen look yeah. great. The, even them and the Rogue Psyker. Actually, I think I would probably have to go the Rogue Psykers even more so, because it's really cool to see see those kinds of models. And there's you know a lot of fine detail. They've got them. Flo- you know, I, I'm a sucker for any of the floating floating on tiny bits of plastic models, just because <laughs> the the engineering involved in designing them is is amazing. But, uh, yeah, the, like, a lot of the stuff from Blackstone Fortress could easily be in the running for, for best model. But that, I'm gonna say, yeah, actually, probably the Rogue Psychers are probably my favorite. My least favorite, surprisingly, is the Dominus Knight. Like, the Knight Valiant and Knight <coughs> Castellan. Yeah. Not because of, not for rules reasons or anything like that. Partially because the Knight is, it, because they didn't make it an interchangeable kit, despite the fact that it's an interchangeable kit. Right, like there's no <laughs> other than selling, trying to sell you the same kit twice. There's no reason for those weapons sprues to be different. But the the main reason I don't like the Dominus Knight is I look at the other, like I look at the Armiger, and I look at the quest, like the Questoris Knights, and then I look at like the Castigator Knights, and I look at the like the Star- like the Megara Knights, and you know I look at like you compare all the various knight lines, and they all have. Very different profiles. They have different, like, they like visually, they look very different. And, like, knights within the same class, like the Castigator, like the Acheron, the Lancer, they all look similar. They've all all built similarly. But they have a very different visual profile from the Questorus Knight, which has a very different visual profile from the Armagers. The Dominus Knight looks like just a Questorus Knight on steroids. It just looks like a slightly bigger, slightly beefier Questorus Knight. And right. I would it, have liked to see something a little bit more.
1: Yeah, and it and it's really actually not even that much bigger. No, it's not. Mm-hmm. Like, if, had, if it had been just, you know, a few more inches bigger... Yeah. ...then they'd have to get a new box. Well, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's like... It it just feels like a missed opportunity to do, to do a really neat, different knight design, rather than, what if we just... M- bulked out a Questorus Knight and put different guns on it
2: it seems like a very tau thing fair. or an orc thing of just add more gun
0: yeah but no <laughs> it's just well and it, it's not a bad kit. don't it, it this year had very few bad models i don't th- but that's that's the one i like the least just because i i kind of was hoping for more of a design change on it and i we didn't get it so yeah, i think that's fair all right, next up, speaking of big things, Andrew Thistleweight writes, The Stompa Mob in Vigilus, it states that it is used on a super-heavy detachment. Does this mean that in order to use it, I must bring three Stompas? I'm assuming that a super-heavy auxiliary detachment is not permitted to use this by the wording, but I wanted to check. Thanks, guys. Keep up the great work. Well, it does. Uh, the Stompa Mob does specify it has to be a super-heavy detachment in capital letters, so it's not just a... It's like, use the stratagem when you are choosing an army, pick an orc super heavy detachment from your, from your army to be a stompa mob specialist detachment. And I'm going to tell you, one stompa does not a mob make.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> one boy is not a, you know, one boy is not a mob. One stompa is not a mob. You need at least three. So yes. Yeah. Uh, which also means the stompa mob is not going to be playable at most tournaments because stompas are still like, what, 800 points? The- yeah, when you work in everything. So, so rules lowering this just a touch, just oh. to further the discussion. <laughs> uh, do orcs have any other super heavies besides the Stompa? Like in Forge
1: World or anything else? It, in Forge World, they have. Uh, what, the Squiggith? The, squiggeth? the squiggeth and the, the Gargantuan Squiggith. Okay. And well, because- they also have a plane that. And they it,
0: think is actually and they do have a like there's also a named Stompas or like there's like, oh, one yeah, Mech's, like the big the big right yeah. Well, so the reason why I say that is if and I and I, I don't and I don't expect anybody offhand to know this. It just says super heavy detachment, which means you have to have three super heavies. True. So you could take a Stompa. And I don't know if, for example, the Squigoff is like a Lord of War, but like 100 points or something. You could, you know, and I know it's not, but you could fill a super heavy detachment. You need at least one stompa in there, because if there's not at least one stompa, there's no point in taking this. But yeah, I would think that if you could take a, a fill out a super heavy detachment with a stompa or two stompas and something else, that you would then be able to turn that super heavy detachment. You wouldn't be able to do it to a uh, uh super heavy auxiliary detachment. Okay. So the squiggith yeah. is not the gargantuan squiggeth the, is okay. right, yeah. is a, a Lord of War. And, so, and I have no idea. It may not even be any cheaper point-wise to do it that way. Okay, well, actu- I, actually... I, I, oh, and the kill tank is a... The kill tank, ah. that's
1: that's what I was thinking of.
0: The okay, kill tank's only 422 points, so... Okay, you actually could... Because the Stompa is 920 points. Right. <laughs> so, if we want to be absolutely, you know... Absolutely accurate here. Two kill tanks and a Stompa are, is 1764
2: is that without guns or with guns
0: that's with that that's with all the war gear so um there's no real and you can add super rockets but they mm. don't you know if you you can have like five super rockets but they don't cost anything so yeah there's really not a lot of customization on it so you could do do one stomp but you just also have to have two kill tanks to go with it so yeah okay so, so uh, technically, <laughs> techn- technically, what you're saying is there's a chance. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you, you could actually, but it would still have to be a super heavy detachment. You have to have three yep. three lords of war to actually make it function. All right. Next up from Reese Evan Lewis, Reese writes. While I'm sure Chapter Approved will already feature heavily, with the widespread points drops across the board, are there any armies you think will perform better and potentially start to show up in a competitive environment? I kind of want to save that one for the main discussion. Uh, Additionally, as someone who is currently tempted to start a Raven Guard force, I love their fluff, I'd like to hear your thoughts on Codex-compliant Marines as they currently stand. I have a few fun armies, but looking to assemble something more competitive for my next army. No plans for tournaments, but to have a good game against some more serious players in my local store. Do you think Marines are up to the task for this? Um, If you're not focusing on tournaments and you just want to have something with good games, um, I think Marines are definitely possible, Mm -hmm. and I think with the CA drops on... It depends on what you're building... Uh, most of the drops did tend to be focused more on primaris models so if you're not going in that direction ca won't af- affect that too much Uh marines are kind of in a weird spot because they're they're okay they're they're just okay <laughs> you know that which is once upon a time like marines were one of the tougher armies to deal with and now they're they're fine <laughs> they're they're but if you're, if you're just looking to have something that can throw out a good game and, uh, you know, depending on what you're playing, uh, you can definitely, you know, have more fun with some of the, like, you know, just have fun with, like, narrative missions or side missions or even just some of the, v- the variety of match play missions that are in chapter approved. I think you can still have a go of it. It's just not going to – I mean – you're not going to clean up with it, but if you're looking just for it to have fun games and you're not too worried about winning or losing, I think Raven Guard can definitely work. I'm just trying to look at some of the changes. Yeah, most of the things that you would be taking Raven Guard aren't really affected by anything in chapter approved. Uh, yeah, I was trying to see. it looks like Vanguard Vets went down a little bit. Like, so if you're taking Vanguard, if you're going to take, like, eh, one point, it's not really that big a deal. Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think, you know, again, if you're just looking to have fun, Space Marines are totally fine. and Yeah. And, you know, competitively, I think Chapter Approved will actually help bring Marines back into, into the tournament scene a bit. But again, we'll talk about more than that in our main segment. But uh, uh, Codex, I think Codex Compliant Marines, they're fine. But like i said it and they they do lend themselves to being able to build some very thematic armies and still have decent capability to to take care of stuff on the table you don't necessarily and especially because space marines are one of the older 8th edition codexes and the codex design
3: uh,
0: design uh philosophy has shifted a bit since then mm-hmm. that that's like one of the few codexes where i could you know i said earlier – i th- camera refer- did i say it during the air yeah i think i did say it in the yeah air. yeah uh, saying yeah, that know, about- yeah yeah like when Vigil is talking about how um you know i'd like to see them wait a couple of years space marines is one of the few that like maybe in a year or so space marines and chaos space marines i could see kind of refreshing just because things but, have changed since then
2: but only if they add the noise marine as like a rock band unit. No, no no there yeah.
0: are noise marines are already in there dude
2: but not the noise S- marine rock band unit no
0: n- <laughs> <laughs> so like as as we've talked about before, and I and I've, it's so weird that I'm about to say this because I've been the, the one hammering home <laughs> that I don't want this to happen. I could see, rather than getting a new Space Marine and Chaos Marine codex, I could see subsections continuing to get carved out of that. I could see a Primaris Marine codex. I could see mm. a World Eater's codex. I, those could, the, the, yeah. like, I could Old definitely American. see... I could see chapter like mini codexes that I could absolutely see. Well, and like I said, when I say like for Primaris, I could see them going, "Hey, uh, the Star Fighter, whatever, yeah, whatever chapter they come up with, Star Fighter Dominus chapter. No, this brand new, this brand new (laughs) chapter had to be built out of Primaris Marines. Hey, they're now the ones getting all the cool stuff first. So now let's make their own chapter, and this is where they get the experimental." You know, unit of Primaris Marines that knows how to operate like melee weapons. Um,
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh my!
0: <laughs> but like, I could see something like that, and I think you, I think I would, I would expect to see something like that happen before they do a full reboot of the Marine Codex. In my opinion, true, true. Um, yeah, no, I, I'd, I'd like to. I, I think that would be a, a good way for them to kind of revisit some of these armies and and give them a little bit of love. I've, I'm also curious. Maybe instead of a codex, like a full redone codex, an eighth edition equivalent of the Angels of Death book, where it kind of mm-hmm. revisited each of the chapters and gave them a few mo- few new options, roll in some of the stuff from Vigilate, like reprint some of the s- specialist attachments from Vigilus into that and expand upon it. Yeah. You know, it would be, a, you know, maybe it like, maybe that's when they decide, okay, we're going to redo Raven Guard's chapter tactic, or that's when we're going to redo this, that, or the other thing. Um, you know, that that would be – but again, this is a book that would be like a year, year and a half down the road when they've had a few more campaign books out and had a chance to kind of see. Also, we've got to see how is Chapter Approved going to change things up for these armies as well. So, true, sure. But yeah, and also I think uh, there, there's other things that need to be looked at for Space Marines. Like they still don't have – like one of the things that dropped in points a little bit in Chapter Approved was the drop pod. But it still isn't a good choice because of the whole nine-inch bubble makes it very hard to deploy them. Mm-hmm. And so, and you have to deploy whatever drops out of them within less than nine inches, or within you know more than nine inches. And I think if they had some sort of way to, like, if drop pods gave you a way to break the nine inch bubble with the people that deploy out of it, that would make them more viable. But that still remains to be seen. So, yeah, uh, yeah. So th- there's a few things that need to kind of work out for Space Marines, but the the pieces I think are there. They just need a few tweaks to be really solid. But if you're just looking to get some good games in, you can definitely make Space Marines work in the right setting. And also if you're not if you're not going to play some, in tournaments, you can also kind of have the expectation of well people won't necessarily bring their tournament lists and that gives you a lot more freedom too. True. Sure. All right, moving on. Speaking of Space Marines, uh, Cody Syverston writes. My name is Cody from Las Vegas, and I'm a long time listener, but this is my first time contacting you all. I would like to say, for, first, say that I am a casual player who is in and out of the hobby, but have listened to you guys steadily since the end of sixth. I have a few armies at the moment, but at the beginning of eighth edition, I started collecting a Carcharodon Adeptus Astartes force using the Primaris Marines and then acting and then adding what I like to play. I am trying to build a 2,000 point casual list to play with friends who are newer to the hobby. The list I have built is based around fluff and what I like to play. I want to play a fast, aggressive army with lots of melee and some range support. The Karcharodons are a very rip-and-tear style of Space Marine. With heavy use of chain weapons, I, I play them using the Raven Guard chapter tactics because they're supposed gene sire, but I also have read that they might be loyalist night lords or even loyalist world eaters. I do like the idea of playing the silent predator type of play style, though, so I stick with Raven Guard. So my plan is to deep strike Tiberos and his red brethren, the Cataphracty Terminators, Wherever they are needed, I have the lieutenants each with one of the assault squads. I plan on using three command points to infiltrate with the Raven Guard stratagem. I will be infiltrating the aggressors, the chaplain and the reavers. And th- keep in mind, this is also an older letter. Uh, this is actually came to us originally in April. And I apologize to Cody for not getting to it because obviously big FAQ2 has changed us up a bit. <laughs> I will be infiltrating the Aggressors, the Chaplain, and the Reavers. They will target the highest priority threats and hopefully cripple or tie them up. I have the Redemptor for range support and backfield control along with the Inceptors. I'm not sold on Inceptors or the Lieutenants. I do want to keep the Assault Squads and the Eviscerators, Tiberos, the Chaplain, and the Reavers, but anything else I'm open to. I would like to incorporate some Vanguard veterans, but I'm not sure how best to load them all out, and also have a Leviathan Dreadnought with the Siege Drill and Storm Cannon Array, which might be fun to play with. Any advice you guys can have to make this list more balanced and fun would be appreciated. Thanks for all your time. And I look forward to hearing your advice. So this is what he had at the time. And uh, this is also going to get changed up a bit by chapter approved. So he's got uh, a captain with a chainsword sword and jump pack and storm shield and his chainsword He changed out for the teeth of Tara uh, relic, which is their improved chainsword. sword. He's got a premier's chaplain, an aggressor squad uh, with five aggressors and a sergeant, all with the Bolt Storm Gauntlets and Fragstorm Grenade Launcher. Uh, and he's got uh, two assault squads that look to be the same, uh, seven Marines, all the jump packs, seven Marines, Sergeant with an Eviscerator, one Space Marine with an Eviscerator, and a Space Marine with a Plasma Pistol and Chainsword. So both two squads identically equipped. And then an Inceptor squad, uh, three Inceptors, all with the uh, Salt Bolters. Then a vanguard detachment of two lieutenants with jump packs, plasma pistols, and thunder thunderhammers. Um, then Tiberos the Red Wake. And then his elites are in the vanguard are a unit of five cataphractic terminators, all with dual lightning claws. A redemptor dread, uh, pretty much stock. A reaver squad, uh, nine reavers, and a sergeant, all with combat knives, no grav shoots, no grap- grapnels. And this all comes in, at the time, at 1995 points. So if we look at how that's going to come out in the game now. So we built the exact same list. So one thing I know he's got an Outrider and a Vanguard, which kind of hurts him a little bit because he's not going to have much in the way of CP. Yeah. But he doesn't take any troops. So I don't know if he has. <laughs> that would be like the one place where I'd be like, let's see what we can do with this. I mean, I totally I, I get the Vanguard and I get I get why he has those. Yeah, he's just trying to make this kind of a quick, quick strike army. So yeah. I, I definitely and also space marines don't have a lot of stratagems that they need CP for. Yeah, so it may not be as big an issue as I'm thinking because he's he's going to be rocking five command points total, right? But I also don't know that it would be worth it to. I mean, what you'd have to you'd have to pull out the assault squad or terminators or something like that to be able to to have enough points to be able to throw enough troops in there to do you know to to make it worthwhile and i don't know that it'd be worthwhile right i mean to be honest with you the one thing just from reading the list and stuff the one thing that i would be focusing on is how do i clear points for that leviathan dread because if i play this in friendly i'm absolutely going to be using the Forge World toys yes yes (laughs) so there should be some pretty good point saving in there yeah because uh like, the Assault Squad with Jump Packs got cheaper. The Eviscerators got cheaper. Plasma Pistols got cheaper. So, like, the Assault Squads were 216. They're 187 now. Ooh. Yeah. So, that I mean, there's some significant savings. Okay. So, yeah. The Captain dropped five points. Um, the Premier's Chaplain's kind of an odd choice because he doesn't really do anything that the rest of the list does. Yeah. That's one that, that jumped out at me, too, because... If you replace him with a regular chaplain, um, or can you take a chaplain on? Yeah, you can uh, take a chaplain with a jump pack. Jump pack, then yeah, then you then you have him run along with your assault squads, helping them out. Well, and also him- you've got you've got uh, a lieutenant and a and Tiberose and the Vanguard. You could move one of the he's got two lieutenants. You could move one of them into an HQ choice and replace and drop the chaplain entirely. Now I get why he's got the chaplain because chaplains help like help you in close combat cuz they help you like reroll failed hits but a jump chaplain would actually be a better choice rather than the yeah. primaris chaplain well cuz i'm wondering i i assume the plan is that he probably had that primaris chaplain with the aggressor squad but they the chaplains only help in melee so yeah i would i would probably drop the primaris chaplain and replace it with a uh, a jump chaplain right or drop him completely, as you said, and split the lieutenants out. But how much is that Leviathan Dread? Relic Leviathan Dreadnought. Okay. Um, Battle why is it two hundred eighty three point five points? <laughs> what do you get for half a point? Uh, uh. <laughs> that is amazing. That that's that's special right there. Um because uh, the gun the, the Leviathan Siege claw plus Meltigun is forty six and a half points. That is most likely not correct. I'm gonna say no. I'm yeah. gonna say that is so. He's he's got it with what, <laughs> what did he say? The storm cannon array and the siege drill. Okay, I yeah. think we can fix the <laughs> the points on this.
1: <laughs> okay, nope, won't work. It's half point over. <laughs> <laughs> oh. No, no, it's it's fine. It's fine. Okay,
0: so okay, so his list as we as he sent it to us, sure. His list was 1995 when he sent it to us. What we have now, the chaplain or the captain is 103 points. The Primaris chaplain is 77 instead of 85. The aggressor squad still 222. The assault squads are 187 apiece instead of 216. The, uh, Inceptor squad is the same as it was. So the list as he sent to us was 1995. It's now 1851. Um, the lieutenants are four points cheaper because of the drop in plasma pistols. Taboros is still 205. That hasn't changed. Um, the cataphracty squad's 20 points cheaper. The Redemptor Dread hits like 50 points cheaper, <laughs> um, and the Reaver squad. Yeah, the Reaver squad's still 180. But just with the point savings from the changes in chapter approved. The list is a hundred and forty points cheaper. <laughs> so we could. So so let's say I'm gonna move one of the. we let's replace the uh, the chaplain with a chaplain in a jump pack because that would be a much better choice. Mm-hmm. Even if it means uh, digging into. Uh, well, no, I think the I think chaplain with the jump pack is still an option in the codex because they do have a model for it. Yes, I believe. Believe so. Yeah. So let's give him a let's make him a plasma pistol and give. He's got his cruises. Uh He's still only ten points more than the than what he originally had the Primaris Chaplain at, and this will fit much better because he can keep up with anything. He'd have to drop something to fit in the Leviathan because the Leviathan comes in like around three hundred points or so. And Leviathan is said it was heavy. It is a heavy support. So it can go into any yeah. of the detachments. That's fine. Yeah, it's just it's it's kind of disappointing because if it was an elite, you could replace you could replace something out of like the Outrider uh, or, or the, the Vanguard, U- Vanguard, the Vanguard, like replace the Redemptor Dread with the Leviathan Dread or something. But, right. Hmm. Um, real OK, so right now I've got the list of 1871. Uh, one thing I would do is I would go ahead and put the uh, grab shoots on the Reavers because that lets you deep strike them. Yes. And you definitely want to have the options to deep strike them wherever you can. That's going to be a 20 more points. So we're at 1891. We've got 109 points to play with. Honestly, you're not going to have much room for Vanguard vets. I don't think they're fast attack, I believe, or no, they're still leads. They're still leads. Yeah. So you could, I mean, you still got room for them in either detachment. Um, well, Vanguard Vet squad is 70 points base. Jump packs bring them up to uh 8 or bring them up to 85. Um so you've you're at 1976 on points. So you've got 24 points to play with and five guys you could get like with bolt pistol and chainsword you have five you know you've got five Vanguard vets with jump packs. I don't know how much that really gets you because you don't have options for them for like, you don't have the options for the eviscerators. You give them plasma. Uh, you could give uh, you're your one point over from being able to give them all plasma pistols. Well, so kind of reading through like his idea for the list and kind of looking through everything again, there's two things that kind of jump out that, yeah, I guess the reavers still kind of fit. Uh, the, the, uh, aggressor squad doesn't, doesn't thematically fit, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like, I get why they're there because it's a super good unit. But, it also, it's, you, that and the reavers are the only primary things. The reavers can drop in, you know, deep strike in with the grab shoots. They're, they're kitted for melee. The aggressors, I mean, they have power fists, but they're not melee. Like they're they're going to be laying down bolt shots, right? I, I almost. I mean, I wonder what you could get with the because it's how the 180 points now. I uh-huh. think I wonder what you can get with that 180 points. Like what, with, with it, what if you replace the aggressors? Yeah, if you replace oh, the, aggressors the aggressors, are 222 aggressors. points. Oh, they did they not change? They did not change. Okay, aggressors did so, not change. So. Honestly, at that point, let's drop the let's drop the veteran Vanguard veteran squad. Also, I did notice he really likes to keep the chaplain. But like I said, I think replacing the chaplain with a jump pack chaplain would be better. You can save yeah. 10 points if you keep it as the Primaris one, but he can't keep up with everybody. Well, and I, I think the idea as well is that if he was going to take the Primaris chaplain, I think he goes in that aggressor squad and is basically insurance for when that squad slowly gets up into melee. And I that doesn't seem to fit with the rest of the army. Right. Um so let's say we drop the aggressor squad. You do want to keep the uh you keep the redemptor because you need the, the firepower. Well and you need the elite slot to fill out the Right, right. To fill out that detachment. But <laughs> that puts us at sixteen sixty nine. Let's go to that heavy support and uh for the within the uh going to the forge world stuff and put in that relic Leviathan Dreadnought with its two hundred eighty three points. Point five, 283.5 points um, let's give it the siege drill and the storm cannon array that puts it at 307 points we have 24 points to play with and it's so that, yeah at
3: yeah. that point
0: you just you can start tweaking you know things here and there you can add you could add more assault marines to the squads because each of those was it, oh, okay was it seven eight nine yeah okay I guess you have they're to already make, maxed eight, out yeah yeah so maybe you can start messing around with Equipment on them, you know, taking different special weapons or stuff. Have yeah. more plasma pistols potentially. Unfortunately, it's like he has to have the. He he says he's not sold on the Inceptors, but he doesn't have enough fast attack choices to have an outrider if he doesn't. Right. So he's kind of he's kind of stuck. He's I mean, unless, stuck with them, but uh, with unless you dropped in for another assault squad or something. Yeah, well, that would that would definitely be be a smaller assault squad. Right. Well, right. let's see. If we go, let's duplicate the assault squad we have. The assault squad we have is at puts us at if we have 3 of those, that puts us at 2028. 20, let's swap that chaplain back because points. Mm-hmm. Cuz he said he wanted to keep the premier's chaplain. That puts us at 2010. If we can take 10 points off of something, we're golden, which I mean, heck! If nothing else, you could probably drop the storm shield off the captain. Mm, you kind of want that. You you want to well, keep the, ca- the well because the captain already has the. will have an iron halo, so he'll have a four up in vol. Right. So fifteen points to give him a three up in vol. If you need the point somewhere, that's that's a place you could drop and get fifteen points back. Right. I like having the extra survivability, but if that's, I mean, the other place would be somewhere in the assault squad. You could you could fiddle around with the uh, weapon layouts and you know, find a, find something cheaper with like the, the special weapons or something. But right. And you could, I mean, you could peel off uh, something from, from the assault squad. Uh, let's see. You know, he's got the plasma pistols on each of the, the plasma pistols are five points each. If mm-hmm. he dropped those, just drop the special weapon guy and just add another space Marine. Cause one guy with the plasma pistol is not going to make this army. Right, yeah, because like with pl- like plasma, like a lot of things, you need to have it in numbers to make it really make a difference. So remember mm-hmm. how his ol- original list was 1995. <laughs> yeah, his now. So now what we have is we have the captain, we have the Primaris Chaplain for reasons. I you know it's po- again, it's a point thing. Yeah, um, three assault squads, same makeup except we replace the guy with the plasma pistol chain sword with just a bolt pistol chain sword guy. Um, the two lieutenants. Tiburose, the Cataphracti Terminator Squad, the Redemptor Dreadnought, the Reaver Squad, and the Relic Leviathan Dreadnought. We fit all that in at nineteen ninety-five. <laughs> and it's still it's thematically the same thing, but just with all the points drops and getting rid of the the like the aggressors that only kinda of fit and didn't really.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: You get a lot more you get the option to bring in that Leviathan Dreadnought. That would be that would be one way to go. Otherwise, you're looking at trying to figure out how to fit in a small Vanguard Vet squad. Yeah. And I still would prefer to have the the Chaplain with a jump pack. I think that really works more especially if you drop the aggressors, but, you know, it it it, yeah. it, it, is, what, it is what it is. Um so, yeah, that's kind of where I would go just triple down on the assault squad just because it's more bodies it's more attacks it's more things that are going to be up in your opponent's face or maybe you hold on to that third one and drop it in like deep strike it in with while the other two are tying up targets Mm -hmm. and again like you said it's a friendly game let's get that the forge world stuff out there so definitely use the the Leviathan (laughs) dreadnought so I think that's where I'd go with it and then our last letter is from Matt Hibble Matt writes Hi, Preferred Enemies team. Long-time listener. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Well, thank you, Matt. I got the Orc Codex before sailing with the Australian Navy and had eight weeks at sea to go over and over the book to create lists. On the Return to the Dry Stuff, I was listening to your Orc Codex review episode, and I have the Orc list I made while on the Great Blue Wonder, and would love for you guys and War Boss Richard to look over. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you've been upgraded. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> it goes as follows. It's 1,500 points. Uh, a Clan Goff's Battalion Detachment, Big Mech in Mega Armor, Power Claw, Custom Shooter, Custom Force Field with Grot Euler, War Boss with Attack Squig, Custom Shooter, and Power Claw, DeKilla Claw, and Brutal But Cunning Trait. Yeah. <laughs> Ten Shooter Boys with a, a Tank Busta Bomb and a Boss Knob with a Big Choppa in a truck. A second unit, just the same. And then 29 Slugger Boys with three Tank Busta Bombs, Boss Knob with Power Claw. And then a Clan Goff's Vanguard Detachment with a Weird Boy with the Jump a boss mega knob with power claw, two mega knobs with power claws, a mega knob with kill saws, a pain boy, eight tank busters with rocket launchers in a truck, a bone breaker battle wagon with kill cannon, uh, grot Riggers and 3 Big Shooters and a unit of 2 Mech Guns with custom Mega Cannons My plan is to deploy everything to the table not using the Stratagem to warp in units I will have my boss, Painboy and the Mega Knobs in the Bone Breaker as a Death Star unit to take out key enemy units My Big Mech will be deployed with the Mech Guns giving them some protection with the 5-up and vulnerable, and being able to heal any lost wounds the slug boy squad will be deployed with the Weird Boy, ready to use the jump and sling the boys up the field turn one. The shooter boys will be flexible, being ready to take objectives with their trucks or strike at targets of opportunity that arise. And the Tank will be ready for taking out key targets also. With the War Bosses rerolling failed hit rolls thanks to Brutal But Cunnin, at plus one damage as well, and rerolling failed wounds with the claw. I'm feeling pretty confident of him landing four strength 12 AP minus three damage four attacks, paired with the Mega Knobs and Pain Boy. I'm liking this combo, and with nine CP, I've got a lot to play with. Anyway, I'd be very interested in seeing what your opinion on this list is and any changes you would make. Thanks for all you do for the hobby. This is much appreciated.
1: Cheers, War Boss Matt. I like a lot of this. Um, I mean, about the only thing, I don't know that you necessarily need the all three Tank Buster Bombs in the big squad. You can take one per every ten boy. Mm Mm-hmm. But you can only throw one grenade unless you use the stratagem, right? And that's using CP, so that's a situational thing, right? So you might uh, as well, you could just get away with the one, right? I mean, it it's something that you can consider putting those back in if you don't have anything else to put points into. True, and you just always make sure you
0: take the boys with the tank bust of bombs last, anyway. Right? So, like, I'm just seeing how much those are. They're they're, see, they're free. Oh, they're, free. <laughs> so they're so, free. So never mind. You might as well take them. Might as well take them. Yeah. Well, and that gives you the freedom to throw three of them if you want to, if you have well, if you have the CP to spend on it. Oh, right. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, I forgot they are free. So yeah, take them.
0: <laughs> tank busters with rocket launches rather than with the tank hammers. Eh, yeah. Which is tank. probably yeah. Well, the tank hammers. You know, it's that suicide attack thing. It, right. It's not really. I'm surprised he doesn't have any bomb squigs with the tank bustas because he can take up to two. Actually, he can take up for every five tank bustas and or boss knobs and he, he could take two. Yeah. It just depends like, on how many points they cost. Um, I guess uh, they're 10 points each. They're actually more expensive than the boys. Right. Well, the ro- well not counting
1: the rocket launches, but. Yeah. I I just wish that the, uh, I wish the tank camera had like two melee profiles, to where they could attack and do damage with it without blowing without them- blowing themselves up and then like you know you can switch to the one that blows them up like when you really need to
0: if i hit you with the side of the hammer it just hurts if i hit right. you with the tip of the hammer then we both go boom <laughs> right so but yeah
1: uh bomb squeaks would be good
0: but yeah that's 20 points you'd have to make up somewhere and at fifteen hundred points, I mean, this list is pretty tight.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm wondering if maybe you get more mileage out of just using knobs instead of mega knobs. Problem is, is the mega knobs have that option with killsaws, which the regular knobs don't.
0: You know, he took the the custom mega cannons on the met guns, and which are good. Don't get me wrong, but like, if he was willing to play around with like bubble chuckas or tractor cannons. Those are a little bit cheaper. They're like 30 cuz the custom mega cannons 45 and the other guns are 30 and that would free up the points. Now granted, the custom mega cannon is the like the most consistently high damaging yeah weapon of it them. Is. It's got the it's got a good mix of shots. It's a little bit shorter range than the others and it's also always overcharged, but with the big mech there helping keep them alive, that helps a bit. And also the bubble checker can only get up to strength six and might not be. So yeah, the custom mega can's probably the the most consistent choice there.
1: Yeah. Or or there's the tractor cannon, which just automatically hits. Right. So that's pretty consistent and has
0: It's only one shot though. That's the yeah. that's the downside. But otherwise it's got a really good profile. Yeah. It's funny that the the cannon and the kill cannon are the exact same cost. Otherwise I'd see if you could Change those out. They're both 15 points. I was just trying to figure out like, if you can shave any points off the uh, the bone breaker, which is a big shooter. Big shooter is only five. Eh. Trying to find the points with that. Is he at exactly 1,500 points? I don't know. Let's see. I do love that in Battle Scribe they list the uh, the upgrades for the uh, orc as his shooty arm and his stab for the warboss's okay. shooty arm and stabby arm. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I have this at 1,490 points. Make sure I've got this right. Big mech and mega armor, Grot Euler, custom force field, custom shooter, power claw. War boss, attack squig, custom shooter, power claw with the killer claw and brutal but cunning. 10 boys with shooters, tank bustas, one boss knob with chop with, oh, big chopper probably costs more points than just the chopper. Yeah, I think that's, it's five. Okay, that would, then he's coming in at exactly 1500. Yep. So he's got this, yeah, it's a pretty tight list. So, there's not a lot that we can really, uh, yeah, to put in anything, we'd have to sacrifice something. So, I mean, I kind of, yeah, I kind of like it where it is. Do you think the uh, four Mega Knobs are going to be a solid enough unit, you know, backing, you know, with the backup of the Pain Boy and then having the, the war boss there at to be a Death Star? Or would, you know, like, just more knobs be better? I mean, I, granted, the knobs get super yeah. expensive when you start figuring in all the power claws you'd have to put in. right. Because I'm looking at a unit of five knobs, all with power claws, is 135. Yeah, and the mega knobs he's got at 148. Right. Which would free up... It's 13 points, which would be enough to get you one bomb squig. Right. I mean... It'd be more attacks also, which is... Yeah. And, like, delivery in... I mean, you're delivering them in the Bonebreaker, which has the capacity for it. That's not a problem. Right.
1: Right. I mean, I would almost even go with again. You you sacrifice the pair of kill saws, but that's one extra attack. Whereas with extra knobs, you get just, you're getting more attacks, right. In general, the pain boy will still be helpful because the knobs each have two wounds each,
0: right? And you can't un- overlook the the extra the bonus of having just an extra inch of movement on the because the knobs mega knobs are slow, yeah. So yeah, I kind of like the idea of dropping
1: the mega knobs for regular knobs. Yeah. For losing the like the the two armor, you're just getting more bodies. And I think that's a better and trade. And I think that's a better trade cuz that also gives you more punch. Mhm. Like I, I and I would necessarily you could do like four guys with uh power claws and then like one with a with a big chopper if you want to a save bi- a few more. Yeah, cuz a big chopper is still a decent weapon and it doesn't get you the minus one to hit true so so what i played around with was i did the fight unit of five bo- five
0: knobs gave all of them power claws mm-hmm. gave the boss a cyborg body and then that gave me enough points left over i replaced the big shooter on the truck for the te- for the tank busters to have a rocket launcher instead well yeah and I'm then that, that game that's 14.99 Right, and so you get one more rocket launcher coming from the same place as the as the tank busters. Yep, you get more attacks coming out of the bat the bone breaker battle wagon. I think, and and they're still just going to be as nat. The attacks are going to be just as nasty, and there'll just be more of them. Yep, and I think that's worth giving up the two up, and with the cyborg body and the pain boy there. Although cyborg body does, doesn't doesn't stack with pain boy does it
1: no no so, it doesn't so it, it you basically might, it basically you could probably just save those points and put them somewhere else. And
0: throw an extra big shooter onto the battle wagon. <laughs> yeah because that's five points so yeah you can't do a docs tools so yeah so there it'd be redundant if something happened to the pain boy it'd be there but yeah i would yeah maybe just change that out for yeah if you got the pain boy there yeah just throw an extra extra shooter onto the onto the battle wagon you're still at 1499 perfectly legal list yeah otherwise yeah I like it I think it's it's gonna get its work done right you're goth, so all your sixes all your
1: sixes explode regardless of whether it's melee or shooting right uh, like as I was looking at it and granted that's the I, I I'm almost thinking like if you swap the war boss into the other detachment. Uh-huh. With with the weird boy, so that he's still a goff. Right. And then give your battalion, like, bad moons. Okay. To re-roll, because most of this is shooty.
0: Right. You've got the 120-boy mob that's... That one you'd really want to have as goffs, though. Yeah. Th- that's that's where it's like, I'd hate to lose out on extra attacks from that one. Yeah. Let's see, and you don't have any otherwise. Yeah, because if oh. you could have the, if you could, if there was a way, well, and yeah, because you'd have to have, yeah, the because you'd have to have them all as goths for them to be able to get into the bone breaker. You'd also want to move. Well, the mech guns don't get, wouldn't get the benefit of bad moon anyway because they're Gretchen. They wouldn't get the clan culture. Right. Really, the only units that would benefit from it would be the tank busters and yeah. the two shooter boys. Everything else, you want goth. So I don't yeah. know if I don't know if it'd be worth the trouble of trying to figure out how to rearrange those. Yeah. Now I th- I think I think yeah just, yeah just trading out the mega knobs for for regular knobs just gets you it just gets you more more fighty, which is what you want. Yeah.
1: Yep. And with the extra points you can play add, around add, add some little bells and whistles here and there.
0: Yeah, figure out what you want right. to do like like I said, I, I replaced the big shoot on the truck with the rocket launcher, which was like, it ended up being like a seven point difference, but maybe you don't. And maybe you take a couple, of, like take a couple of the big shooters off the, the battle wagon and put in a bomb squig or figure out a way to squeeze in another body somewhere or, you know, yeah, just play around to taste. But otherwise, yeah, I think that would be the only changes we'd recommend. Yeah. And if you have a list you would like to send to us uh, or a, uh, letter you would like us to read, ask our opinion, um, there's a three good ways to do that. First off is to email us. Our email addresses are all our first name at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Or you can like us on follow us on Facebook. We are at facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Uh, you can like us there. Uh, we post what stuff we post news, things we're working on, events we're going to, and uh, you can send us messages there. We also have a Twitter account. Our Twitter account is uh, Twitter.com slash enemy singular. Uh, and all three of these places, we uh, take questions, letters, lists, what have you. We compile them all together, put them into uh, a document, and read that on the air. We also have a Patreon, and we like to provide shout-outs to all our, our new patrons who, as they come online. Uh, so I want to give a shout-out to Matthew Lotz and Dallas Sosby. Those are our new patrons since our last episode. So thank you very much for supporting the show. If you want to support the show, uh, you can go to preferredenemies.com. Uh, if you want to support the show you can go to patreon.com slash preferred enemies you can uh, like us we don't lock any of our stuff behind a paywall our episodes will always be free to uh, listeners but if you want to help support us uh, going to different events or help us with our sound equipment that help us pay for our hosting things like that we really appreciate the help Uh, it's basically an online tip jar you can give as little as a dollar a month Uh, it may not seem like much but enough people put in a dollar it adds up and it helps out uh, so, uh, we're, and, uh, we actually have, uh, perks for our patrons. In fact, we just got in our order from Chessix for preferred enemy dice for our patrons. They got first crack at them. So we'll be sending out invoices for that soon so they can get their dice, uh, ASAP. And then, uh, we may open it up to the rest of our listeners and get an order together. But Patreons get their deal first. So, uh, we are going to take a quick break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we'll be digging into our main topic, which is our look at Chapter Approved 2018. See you in a bit.
1: Miniatures,
2: we build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them
0: to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models.
1: KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And
2: to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases.
0: They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army,
1: or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40k... X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com.
0: KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from Game Mat. Their professionally designed rubber based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling
2: grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a Game Mat
1: mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't
2: have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding G-Board portable gaming area
0: and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gammat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back. And so now it's time to dig into Chapter Approved 2018, our second running Chapter Approved book. And I think this one has an even bigger impact than last year's did. And last year's had a significant impact in that it changed up point values for a lot of things. This one, I think, has more impact just because of all the stuff that's in here. Although, I would also like to comment that I'm disappointed that they don't change the cover art other than the number down at the bottom. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, even the General's Handbooks in For Age of Sigmar, they change up the photo that's on like the cover of each yeah. book.
2: Well, I will say the one thing I did appreciate in the fact that everything from the 2017 one, if it hasn't changed, is in the 2018 one, so now I don't have to carry two books around. I just have to carry this one.
0: Right, yeah. All the point changes that made it across, because some of them were also adjusted further, but anything that even wasn't yeah it's if it's differed from the print codex or index it's in here which, which is i appreciate good. no that is less really good less books is always makes yes. me happy uh so yeah theoretically if you're playing mono codex which we know that's not always a viable thing anymore but if you're playing mono codex you really only need your codex and chapter approved and you're good to go and the rule book and well and, and the rule <laughs> well you, the rule sheet the rule sheet, you, you, sheet yeah yes, i mean yeah. The, the rule book is pretty is technically pretty small at this point and this does include all the uh, various add-ons to match play, such as the the Battle Brothers rule, boots on the ground, limits of command, uh, psychic focus, strategic discipline, targeting characters, understrength support. It doesn't include anything necessarily from uh, Big FAQ 2, but that's a bit too recent f- to get into the print schedule for this. And, uh, you know, that's one of the things like... If, if you notice that there's not a lot in the way of like Imperial Knights point changes um that one of the reasons for that is Imperial Knights is kind of a late comer as far as codexes go. So they didn't have as much time to rework points to get it done in time. There are a few war gear changes, but that's about it. Uh, but anyway, we'll just kind of take this from the top because uh, just like last year's, it is split into open narrative and match play sections. With uh, last year in open play, we had Build Your Own Land Raider, which I think just kind of came and went. I don't think people really paid too close attention to it, especially because it wasn't a thing that was going to be legal for anything outside of, of open play.
2: And even then, you didn't see many land raiders on
0: the table to start. Right, right. So it wasn't that big a thing. On the other hand, what we have in this one starts off with Looted Wagons. And I was surprised that with looted wagons, they didn't just give you one generic looted wagon data sheet like they have in years past where it's just like, here's this one thing, cobble it together and and go. They actually give you three different data sheets for very different purposes, one being a transport, one being a tank, and one being an uber-duber super tank transport thing to roughly coincide with a rhino or chimera, Lehman, Lehman Russ, and a Bane Blade. And they definitely encourage you to use those things as chassis. They even pretty much straight out state. Yeah, this, like, carts are usually based off of chimeras, goliaths, or rhinos. Lehman Russes are usually the most common core for wagons, and Baneblades or Shadow Swords are what's usually used for battle fortresses. Um, They're not amazing. They've got some customization on guns, but that's about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Although the the Battle Fortress, I mean, you can pretty much get any of the... You know, something equivalent to most of the Baneblade-style weapons, but very orky. Yeah. But what surprised me is I didn't see anything in here that struck me. Like, the most random thing they have is they have a big red button rule that I think on all of them does the same thing. Yeah. You, You press the button once per game, you roll a D3, and you either get an extra six inches of movement... You add one to the strength of all their ranged weapons, or it, auto, it automatically regains D3 lost wounds. And that They're all pretty much the same. It seems like it
1: would be really easy to balance. And yeah, I, I really, no official model is, is, is the reason. That, that's why this is open play. Yeah. And not matched.
0: Right. Because if this, like, I could understand it being open play if it was like, oh, there's all these ridiculous options you can throw on them and it could just get absolutely crazy. Right. But that's not the case. This isn't, this is less flexible than the custom land raider thing. Yeah. There's no reason why there shouldn't have been point values uh, applied to these other than we don't sell a model for it. And yet. And yet, after the data sheets, they tell you, and this is how you build the model using GW parts. Yeah, <laughs> I, and like in detail, they're like, cut the web, like cut this part off of the turret, cut the uh, cut the guns right here, and glue them on. It's like it's like watching Duncan or Chris, you know, like do the tutorial. So like, there's no reason why you couldn't have made this like unofficial data sheet added to works. There's no reason why this and, couldn't have been in the work codex, really. Uh, yeah. So um I think that's a that's a bit of an oversight which is a shame because these rules are they're cool, they're fun. I'd like to see them in. And I like I think we're pretty much looking at allowing them for the uh friendly tournament since it's a PL tournament at Midwest Conquest. I would totally allow these. There's nothing overpowered about them at all. Yeah. No, I think that absolutely makes sense for something like a friendly to allow these and yeah which means we'd probably have to allow the the build-your-own-land raider, and I'm fine with that because, again, I don't think anybody did that. But yeah. if you did, I don't see why not. It's a friendly event. Why not let somebody t- bring a custom land raider? Exactly. Um, then they also added the ability to have – cut, or they added rules for building a custom character. This one I can totally see being an open play only because you can get a little bit crazy with some of the abilities because they give you like a D66 chart of all of the abilities you can get. And depending on how heroic you want to make your hero, um, you can get like up to like eight selections off of these. now some of them are abilities. Some of them are weapon improvements. Some of them upgrade the char- uh, character stats. Some of them will buff a character up if they're a Psyker. Uh, the only limitation is it can't be a named character already. You are building your own character
2: it's, yeah, I was kind of really excited for this, and I'll say my one, I guess, thing that disappoints me a little bit is they say, "Oh, well, here's a hero, here's a mighty hero, here's a legendary hero," based on how many of these traits you are going to give it, whether you pick or roll. I was kind of hoping or thinking that they'd tell you what a power level adjustment
0: would yeah, be. Yeah, like it's it, yeah. yeah, it seems like that you should have that. So, I mean, is it
2: like plus two to make a hero, plus three to make a mighty hero, and plus four for a legendary?
0: And it's because it's, like PL is one of the few things like that lets you in open play kind of roughly have a gauge of power and yeah some of these are are powerful enough that I yeah if I'm gonna have like for a hero four four editions from from this that's a pretty big yeah
2: and that's just a normal hero
0: yeah legendary
2: hero is more like your prime well maybe not a prim- yeah, like primarius. a
0: chat but a chapter master. chapter master right it's like I should be able like you could build a chat you could take a character. Like, take a Space Marine Captain, give him the Chapter Master upgrade, and build all this out. Yeah, there's no reason why you shouldn't be able to have, like, know what the PL adjustment of this is. Because, I mean, it's everything from, like, hard to kill. Wound rolls of one, two, or three made for attacks that target this model always fail, even if the attack has a strength characteristic higher than the model's toughness characteristic. That's a stupid good ability. That's just a random roll on the chart.
2: Or if yeah. you do it normal, it says you can pick as well. Yeah,
0: so yeah. It's
2: yeah. <laughs> I can see why this isn't really involved in any of the. It doesn't list it. For, it's only really good for narrative,
0: right? Uh, well, and even then, they have other. They have like battle honors and things like that for narrative True. units, but it which is it's a it's a shame that this does not have like like you said any sort of PL support where you could roll this into narrative play mm-hmm. because this is perfect for narrative play. <laughs> So it'd have to be something where you'd have to like if you were doing a narrative campaign where you wanted to allow custom characters, you'd have to say like, okay, you can use any character like you can build these and it's going to add like two, four, six PL or two, three, four or something like that.
2: And it kind of makes me think back to um, the Anden book, Mm because when that came out, they had those certain missions that you had to have certain characters and they if the character didn't have a model they said use this model and use these extra traits to give to the character right and it kind of feels like what this is as well
0: right yeah the fact that it yeah you can just pick any of these it's really there's some really good ones to pick
2: but yeah. on the whole it would be great for narrative if you just wanted to build a specific type of character and yeah. weren't going for a hey i'm just gonna build the most broken character just <laughs> just just something to give somebody flavor
0: right uh, getting into narrative play, though they do, like I said, they do have the battle arm, the battle honor system, and this one is a little bit more codified in that they have you like doing stuff in the game, earning experience, and then as you go up in experience, you actually have like a list of things that you can like. At rank one, you can take this out at rank. And two. do you
2: know what this makes me think of?
0: What's that? Kill team upgrades. It is very, <laughs> yes. no, it's yeah, very much kill team upgrades just for, for an army. Okay, yeah. And then you, yeah, it's like all the thing is, all your units, at, other than characters, swarms, drones, and buildings, get experience points. Which is, it's a shame that characters don't. Well, Although they do say, designers note, swarms, drones, and buildings are not known for their ability to learn new skills. Yeah. <laughs> And characters are already experienced veterans who typically have access to a variety of war gear and a suite of rules such as relics and warlord traits to further personalize them and boost their combat potential. If you and your opponent want to create even more bespoke characters for use in your campaigns, consider using the custom characters' open play rules presented on pages 14 through 17. (laughs) (laughs) So they straight up basically tell you, yeah, you should just do that. But this lets you, like... If you're doing, like, a narrative campaign, like, for example, if you wanted to play through Vigilus, you could use layer this on top of their campaign system and have, like, individual units gaining honors and gaining abilities as you went through the campaign. If you, like, played the same army repeatedly, which I think would be fun. I think it'd be cool. But it it's something I would probably limit to, like, two people playing through a campaign rather than... A large campaign group because that would that could get very unwieldy very quickly because it's every unit in the army.
3: <laughs>
0: but you could also then play a rule like, hey, if this unit doesn't, serve... you know, they, I think they do say the unit has to survive the battle.
2: Well, they also you have to like roll dice and they have to go and restock and resupply before they can come back. So they don't die, die. They just can't be used for one battle. Uh, true, something.
0: but they have to actually have the battle honors first before they get right. So, at the end of each battle, you should check to see if any of your units have accumulated enough experience points to be promoted or rank. I would almost say, like, yeah, they have to, I would say they'd have to survive the battle to actually be able to gain the experience. But that would, they don't clarify that. But, yeah, if I was going to do that system, I'd kind of make that a restriction. But, I mean, it, it's fun stuff. It's, you know, they're just. They're level ups that give you just extra abilities. It'll make certain unit if a unit manages to survive, it'll get tougher and nastier.
2: Man, the nice thing is they don't you don't get these for free. Besides the experience, it also increases the power rating of your unit. So
0: Oh, and also they say if the unit was destroyed during battle, it loses D3 experience points. So okay, so a unit can survive so you could lose a unit. It, it could still gain experience if it just did, if it did a bunch of awesome stuff and then happened to die, it could still gain experience and then you refilled it. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, and then the other thing in narrative was the return of cities of death, which uh, was a lot better than the treatment that they gave it in, um, in the core <laughs> rule book where it was like, here's one mission and uh, some very light stuff on cities of death. They actually give you six cities of death a set of specific cities of death, warlord traits and
2: just extra rules,
0: extra rules, uh, including a brand, like an expanded, a a actually very expanded cover system, which is kind of a, again, we're seeing ideas. We've talked about, you know, that kill team might be kind of a laboratory to see if certain ideas might work their way into 40 K. And I think we are seeing that. (laughs) Because the Cities of Death cover system they have in here, first off, there's the whole idea of an obscured target, which is straight out of Kill Team. It's if a model is, if parts of a model are obscured between the shooter and the uh, target, then that model's obscured and it's minus one to hit them. However, if, like, if it's a unit, if any of them are unobscured, the entire unit's considered unobscured, but uh and then vehicles have to be 50% covered from the viewpoint of the shooter vehicles monsters do before they get the the benefit of being obscured. But uh I I like that. And you now granted, it's gonna stack with some other things, so like God help you if you're playing against Ally Talk or Raven Guard. <laughs> <laughs> but then thematically, narratively, that makes sense. They should be able to take advantage of that. Um but they also have the lucky hit rule. Sixes always hit.
2: I actually like, like that. that.
0: Yeah, which takes away some of the fun from from orcs because that's kind of part of their thing with well, daka daka daka. But they yeah. also still get exploding sixes, so. right?
2: Yeah, Richard and I talked about that before you got here today. Rob I was like, "I was like, yeah, that takes away." And Richard was like, "No, they still
0: explode their sixes, so we're still fine." I'm like, "Yeah, okay, fair yeah. enough." <laughs> but yeah, I, I, lucky hit is almost a rule that I would like to see just rolled into 40k. Yes, so one's always missed, six is always hit, so that there's no unit that can be impossible to hit. It mm-hmm. can be very hard to hit. It can be very hard to wound, but that should just be there. Um, streets and roads. This one is kind of cities of death specific, but adding three inches to non flying movements. It non flying units move characteristic if they're uh, on a road or a street.
2: I actually, really, I mean, it's hard to do like for a tournament. Type oh thing, yeah, but for, tournament. for for a narrative something. It encourages you to use land um, things that are on it allows the ground. You to, it,
0: yeah, it encourages you to build your table in such a way that there are clear thoroughfares and paths to go through. And
2: encourage you to use those Reiner's, Racer's Back, Land Raiders.
0: Right. Whereas in, like, in a tournament, you kind of want your train all scattered up because you want a lot of line of sight blocking stuff. But if you're using this obscured system, that's not as important. I think that this actually fixes a lot of that. By having yeah. an obscured system, it allows ruins and obscuring terrain, things that we don't see much, like trees. It actually makes trees viable.
3: Yeah.
2: <laughs> I thought we got rid of trees because nobody used crute anymore.
0: Well, that's that's <laughs> well, just, well, no, people got rid of crute because nobody used trees oh. anymore. <laughs> um, there's the height advantage rule, which I th- I think this one's kind of fun too. Uh, it basically if if a unit is at least on, is has its base on a level that is three inches or more higher than the thing it's shooting at, then they get minus one AP, like all their AP improves by one, to represent that they're shooting down at less 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 strongly armored parts of the target. And at first, I was kind of concerned the because the way it just says like if to gain a height advantage, every model in the target unit must be on levels that are three inches or more below that of the firing model. And at first, I thought. Oh crap, knights will always get that against infantry, but no, it's the models, <laughs> the bait like they're the model has to be on that level. So yeah. if the model like if a knight and an infantry unit are both on the ground floor, which knights are going to be by default cuz they can't move higher, then they're then they're equal. But if infantry gets up 3 inches higher than a knight's feet, they actually get minus 1 AP. So yeah. I think that works out nicely. So I kind of like that rule. That one, That's one I don't know if I'd roll into, like, main 40K. I think that one's kind of a city, Cities of Death's more specific rule. Yeah. But the Obscured rule I would totally like to see rolled in. And then they expanded cover so that there's now soft cover and hard cover.
2: I did like that. I thought that was neat to differentiate that.
0: Right. And the difference being soft cover is what we consider standard cover. It's plus one armor save. S- hard cover is plus two armor save. Uh, and they do clarify invulnerable saves aren 't affected uh there 's no benefit from cover in the fight phase. Some models have the ability to uh, improve the benefits of cover, which means if you can improve hard cover, it is a plus three to your saving throw, which then makes that be getting that height advantage where you can take away armor you know take away armor saves a bit more makes that that much more important mm-hmm yeah, all in all, I would really like. To, and they, like I said, they specify like soft cover is forests, woods, uh, craters, uh, imperial statuary, where it's just you know freestanding statue obstacles. But hard cover is sector mechanica structures, ruins, fuel pipes, barricades, fortifications. Hard like things that are hard walls are mm-hmm. hard cover. Things that are not are soft cover. Um, I again, I would love to see this rolled into main 40k because it would help make terrain matter again other than just can i can i block can off? i see you yes no <clears throat> yeah yeah and then like i said they they prov- and they also provide like four pages of stratagems that are specific to um two cities of death they add three different battle zones which can encover which could cover like you know infested battle zones battle zones that are on fire and you can help make buildings catch fire during the game or help put them out because like once the building's on fire it's dangerous terrain Uh, or polluted battle zones Uh, they give you six different missions for narrative play
2: i i will say i read through all six of these i really like all of them each one's different, but once again, it's for narrative only because you have to have an attacker and a defender. So, right. I don't know, decapitation also seems really fun, where you <laughs> you have to keep your warlord <laughs> alive, and the attacker can deploy pretty much anywhere that's not in the middle of the board.
0: Right. Now it's I, I really like this take on Cities of Death. And I'm curious to see how this is going to interact with the urban conquest book that they're co- – or not book, book, box set that they're going to come out with early next year or sometime next year. Maybe it might be rolled into that. I, I could see that, just having mm-hmm. it all together. But they might also be able to say, hey, chapter approved is kind of a required book. Like you'll need your core book and chapter approved. But they might reprint it.
2: Uh, if, if it's part of urban combat, they might just take all that Cities of Death section and put that in there. Yeah,
0: that's true. That's true. Cut down again yep. on the number of books you have to carry around Exactly. With you.
2: And this might be thus a preview.
0: Yep. Hey, you've
2: been playing this for a few months now here by our
0: like our expanded campaign system yeah. for it and the times we've played Cities of Death it's been fun games although I'm glad one thing they didn't have in here was like they used to have a Cities of Death mission that was just all about being in the tallest buildings uh, yeah. and that is that is yeah. gone that is that, gone I don't miss that
2: I had forgotten about that one until you mentioned it sorry to bring it up again oh it's all fine yeah <laughs>
0: And then speaking of missions, we get into the match play section, and they added six new Eternal War missions and six new Maelstrom of War missions, and they all have a number of changes amongst them that I think makes these a lot better than the core book missions. Although, I don't know if they have any like straight-up kill point missions, but all of these missions are built around accumulating points throughout the game. But the big changes to all of them, and they've done it by... because. One thing you have to remember, there, are, there is no such thing as, a, as standard mission rules. Every mission has specific rules that determine like how objectives are controlled, how you set up at the beginning of the game, who goes first. Um, and so to uh, change those, they, they add rules to individual missions. So some of the rules that are consistent to all these, for one thing, is the acceptable casualties rule. And that one basically says when you know sudden death does not apply. When you when you are tabled, you do not automatically lose the game. It just still comes down to points. So if you played the mission better than your opponent and they just happen to kill you, you can still win the game. Which I really like that. Yes,
2: and and I'll find with that for one thing because in an accumulated points method, I think this is needed in a um, one where you just tally the points at the end of the game. That's kind of where it. Doesn't matter if you're
0: well, right? But all of these are like starting right, on this right. turn or at the end of each round. Start, you know, tallying up right. points.
2: And I'll say the one rule I like you'll get to, is called first strike.
0: Yes. So uh, every uh, victory condition they used to have the three victory conditions are always tagged onto the end. Where slay the warlord, line breaker, and first blood. First, first player to get a kill gets an extra point. Of course, one of the classic problems with that is. A lot of times, people were winning games by one point because they happened to get the lucky alpha strike in. You won. You got first turn. Oh, look, I get first blood. Yay, I'm you know, i I'm, I'm up a point on you. You now have to play that much harder to possibly win. Instead, they replaced it with first strike. Well, they haven't replaced the old missions, still have that, but these missions have first strike. You score a victory point if any units from your opponent's army were destroyed during the first battle round, which is actually one of the things they have in the ITC packet for... Um, like playing old school, they have first strike and last strike. So if you kill a unit in the first round and kill a unit in the last round, so they basically drop that into here. And I like that too. It's because again, it's something both players have a chance to score.
2: I also like that it says battle round and not your turn.
0: Yes. Oh, that's an always annoying, like, Oh look, we got tied up into assault somehow and I didn't kill you on (laughs) my turn. Yeah. That was always annoying. There is one mission in here I don't like because of it screws up with it, it screws some particular armies specifically uh, narrow the search, which is basically it's a variety of the relic, except you don't move the objective marker. It's always in the center of the board. The problem with it is if you're within 12 inches of the objective marker, you don't get an invulnerable save, which means demons and Harlequins need not apply.
3: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that's a bit of a problem. But I bit. do, but I also like how, how they do scoring on that one. So it's kind of a, it's like, oh, I really like this one. So at the beginning of each battle round, the player who controls the objective marker scores a victory point. You control it by having more models within the specified distance of it than their opponent. Uh, so. At the end of battle round one, it's 18 inches, and then it gets three inches smaller every turn. So you have to get closer and closer and closer to the objective marker to continue to control it. But it also means, like, okay, yeah, you got somebody within three inches, but this unit of boys moved in, and they're within 18 inches of it. Guess what? Orcs control the point round one. But then they're going to have to keep pushing forward and keep pushing forward. So it encourages some very interesting play. I just – and I understand why you don't want to object, uh, invulnerable saves within 12 inches of right. that. Because somebody could just tank that. Yeah. But it does hurt some armies that absolutely depend on invulnerable saves to actually have saves.
2: You'll <laughs> just have to send in soul grinders or demon princes who actually have an armor save.
0: Yes. Or for Harlequins, ah. Mm-hmm. Uh, bikes, vehicles. Bikes. Yeah, bikes.
2: Bikes are probably – and the bikes are probably the best. Yeah.
0: And they'll definitely be able to get their turn one. Oh, heck yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, all of these have like some sort of accumulating points. Vital, there's one for Vital Intelligence where uh, a different... Like, the objective markers are worth one point every turn or every battle round. But uh, you roll a d6, and then one of them becomes the active point, and it's worth double points unless somebody rolls a 6 because five objective points have been placed on the board. If you roll a six, all of them are active and all of them are worth double points. But it encourages, again, it encourages mobility. You can't just castle. You're going If you want to maximize your points, you have to be able to move around and get to other points. And that's, that's the kind of play you want to see missions uh, encourage, is mobile play, playing to objectives.
2: See, and I also like cut off the head, which is kind of like an assassination type.
0: Yes, where you have like, You have characters, the characters are worth have so many points. You accumulate points if your characters are still alive every turn, but you also have to get them within three inches of the center to broadcast the information they have. So yeah, there's there's just all of them have very different ways of, of figuring out how the scoring is done. And they do have like they have one called the Four Pillars, which does have kind of a kill points aspect to it. At the end of each battle round, a player scores a victory point if more units from their army, opponent's army were destroyed during that battle round than from their own army. So, whoever kills more units gets an extra point accumulated, which is very ITC-ish. So, the mm-hmm. you, know, you can definitely see that there's elements of ITC play that have been brought into these, and it's no no surprise that some of the like the people who have been working on this are playtesters who are very familiar with the competitive scene and having these missions in here as as options. Now, do I see these necessarily replacing ITC? Probably not, but I'd like to see some more ideas from these. Now, one thing we haven't talked about is there's a change to deployment, and I know, Kevin, you were not as big a fan of this one. Yeah, I, every single Eternal War and Maelstrom mission here, for deployment, you, know, you roll and determine who, you know, standard deployment maps, all the things like that. And then... When you go, uh, the person who, let's see here, the player who did not pick the deployment zone then deploys their entire army first, then the opponent deploys their entire army. So you're not, you're taken away from the whole back and forth aspect. It's very much that previous editions, I deploy, you deploy, and then we, and then we go. And I get that that's faster and a little bit easier to do in, uh, you know, in a tournament setting or stuff like that, but, I like the fact that deployment's a back and forth interactive thing. It's not just one of those, like, okay, cool, you're going to set up your, your Imperial Guard army and I'm going to go run and get a soda and I'll come back in 10 minutes and then I'll set my army up. I like that it's very much kind of that back and forth and it, it, that out element of it, like, also factored into deployment or into list building. Like, do I take a rhino and I put this unit in a rhino so it's only one drop so I can have fewer drops or, do I you know can I strategically hold this back depending on what the opponent does? And that element's a little bit I don't like that element being lost. I, I can see that. At the same time, it's kind of frustrating sometimes when you are doing deployment where depending on how your opponents built their army, they can have most you like you'll end up having most of your army deployed before they ever actually have to put anything down because they've put so much stuff into reserves. Sure. So I see both sides of that. This definitely speeds things up. I also do like that the player, so one player gets the option of choosing where they want to deploy. Like if they feel that one deployment zone or the other fits their army better, and then their opponent deploys first and then we'll get first turn. So basically, like you give your opponent first turn, but you may be able to choose the better position and react to how they deploy. So I I think there's still a little bit of that give and take there. It does. It speeds things up. I'd like to see how this plays out in this edition because you're right. This edition has kind of been built with the idea of the we we take turns, and that's a strategic part of the game. But it's also true that deployment is can really, especially mm-hmm. at high levels of play, with the, when you've got a lot of units, you know, floating around, it can really bog down the game too so i see both ways i i prefer the other method and i it'll be interesting to see what like itc missions and stuff like that decide to do yeah so uh and, and like and like i said this got applied to all the missions so maelstrom of war the maelstrom of wars have this all as well I'm, i don't know if we'll use like i know for uh for the friendly tournament we're gonna use, we were planning on using maelstrom of war missions from the core rule book I'm curious to see if we may want to like play these, play around with these, and see if we like them better for, for our tournament. Give them a shot, test them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. No, we'll definitely play around with them because I I do like these missions. I like the variety. I like the way the scoring's done. The only thing I don't like is the deployment stuff. Um, but you know, like I said, I'd be willing to play around with them and see what we decide to do. Or I'll, if nothing else, you know, we're doing random missions, so you know. Pick pick whether you want to use the core book or the you know or chapter approved, so like by the way, did you well. notice that what is in all the maelstrom of war missions, refined strategy, yeah, which sounds familiar. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Before the battle begins, each player selects up to six of their tactical objectives. If they are using cards, remove the selected cards from their deck. Otherwise, if that player generates one of the selected tactical objectives during the battle by rolling dice, they must immediately gener- generate a new yeah. tactical objective. So they're doing what we were going to do in our friendly, which was cut down the deck to get rid of the ones that you don't think you're going to score anyway. Absolutely. Yeah. that And that is, <laughs> that is very good. That makes Maelstrom Reward better. So, yeah, so, yeah there's more incentive... We could just basically build that into our missions and just say you this you you just skip the refined strategy because you've already done that going into the game. Mm-hmm. But that also means like, oh, I'm playing an opponent who does like, oh, my opponent is Tau. I will hunt. I will pull out the one that says if I kill a Psyker because I don't need witch right. hunters. <laughs> right. <laughs> so no. I But yeah, I do really like what they've done with Maelstrom of War in here. Uh, let's see. Moving on. They've got an entire appendix. The appendix for this book starts on page 60. <laughs> and ends on page 140. So half of the book, over half the book is appendix for match play. So um, (laughs) I think that that amuses the hell out of me. But uh, so the appendix covers things like revised rules for battlefield terrain, uh, the Adeptus Sororitas Codex, the Renegade Knights Codex, which hasn't really changed. They just put it in print. So it's no longer just a downloadable book. Uh, Mm -hmm. The datasheet for the eight and then updated <laughs> points values and a few updated data sheets. The battlefield train—it's just really there to clarify. You know, these are the these are considered the most recent rules. They replace any rules from the rulebook. So, like most recent rules for ruins, most recent rules for craters and barricades. But they also add in the stuff like the munitorum armored containers, the galvanic servo haulers, thermic plasma conduit. You know, basically anything that they've released model-wise that didn't have the rules tied into a particular place. They've got them all updated here and in one place, which is really nice to have. And including the different kinds of death world forest terrain, all like all the different plants have different rules there as well. And then we get to the sisters codex. Um, so I guess I'll take the lead on so, this. So one. here's Rob's mini <laughs> episode. Here's my <laughs> mini episode. Uh, for one thing, I do like that uh, hand flamers got D6 shots again. They got un <laughs> So, I mean, there's still only strength three, but I'll take having uh, two D6 shots from each of the Seraphim with dual hand flamers. That'll be really nice. And uh, they also... Uh, like, Crusader's data sheet appears both in this Beta Codex and ca- Codex Astromilitarum. Uh, the biggest difference between the two rises from the revised F- Acts of Faith ability. And so they're going to... Uh, whenever they do the full version, they'll apply all, all the rules here, and then they'll just errata the Astro Militarum Codex to match because they're in both places. So, yeah. uh, And they do actually spell out, you know, this is a beta codex. What does that mean? This gives you an expanded set of rules to kind of match what other armies have, although there's a few things they don't have, like uh, sub-faction-specific stratagems or relics. They just have, like, core army relics and stratagems. But they also like, we redid the acts of faith system. We've changed up a bunch of point costs. We changed some units. Um, if you think these work or not, if you want to give us feedback, here's where you email us and make the subject of your email beta codex adeptus sororitas feedback. They, they really spell out here. This is a beta. We want to improve this. We don't, they're like, we're redoing the plast, the line in plastic. We don't want you to have to wait until then to have a full codex. I really appreciate that. What I don't appreciate so much is some of the changes they made. <laughs> um, but there are some things that you th- th- do like. There's, th- yeah, there's things in here I love, and there's things in here that I, I I haven't gotten a chance to play with this, so I just I have things I, I, I have questions on how f- effective they're going to be. I do <laughs> like that they give you like a mini fluff section including a little bit of detail on the six primary orders of the Sisters of Battle. They even have the nice little codex photo section. So they really tried to give you the feel of a full codex. It's just not uh, as in-depth. It also gives you a good reason as to why they're redoing this model line in plastic. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that it does. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, the the, the lines, it's, it's really showing its age, especially in the very static poses on all the all the non-Celestine models. Uh, yeah. So the big, the big big change here, and I understand why they did it, because I think, uh, as Inari have shown them, action economy is one of the most powerful things in this game. And sisters, besides besides Inari, were one of the armies that actually had abilities that was just, like, straight-up action economy. At the beginning of your turn, on a two-up, one of your units gets a free fight phase, a free shooting phase, a free movement phase, or uh, heals uh, D3 wounds or regains a model with a single wound remaining. That was the old Acts of Faith system. Uh, Celestine would give you a free one to, some, to a unit within six inches, which could be herself. And uh, then you had a Magifiers, which were elites, that you could drop in that had six-inch bubbles of, you get an Act of Faith on a four-up. One of the issues with that was that it didn't scale well. If you were pay, playing a 500-point game, you had just as many Acts of Faith as you did if you were playing a 2,000 or a 3,000-point game unless you dropped in a lot of imagifiers. And even then, you know, then you're using up all your elite slots for characters to have a 50-50 chance to get an act of faith. Uh, Also, action economy, like I said, is really powerful. So they wanted to kind of tone that down but make the scale a bit more. So what they've done now is kind of going back to one of, like, the old acts of faith system from, like, third or fourth edition. <laughs> this is this. Well, I guess third edition. There was no fourth edition sisters codex. <laughs> so going back to third edition, basically you have faith points to spend. And these are almost like having a second pool of command points that do that have different things going on. So you get three command points to start with for every 10 models rounded down. So it's only per blocks of 10, uh, 10 models you have with the acts of faith rule, Uh, You get an additional faith point, so you're probably looking at somewhere around seven to eight, maybe, in your army, depending on how you build it. But it does scale up, which is nice. To use an active faith, and they're all are defined like wit when you can use individual active faith, kind of like stratagems are. You spend a faith point. This does not make the ability just happen, though. You then have to roll and equal or beat the faith, the active faith's devotion value. And then if you do that, you get that particular act of faith's ability. It is not just a, you get one of these four abilities just for pulling off an act of faith. You pick which one you're doing, and then you try to get that roll. I don't like it when stratagems make me spend a command point to maybe have something happen. I don't like it when acts of
1: faith do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, The idea of having a specific currency that you have to spend, and then you still have to roll a die to see if... That happens. It, it irritates me. Yeah. Like, and because I remember not liking it when it used to be that way, too. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so, what I especially don't like is that some of them are very hard to pull off, too. So, kind of running down, the our replacements are now Hand of the Emperor, uh, devotion value four. So, you got a 50 50 chance on this one. Use this act of faith at the start of your movement phase. If successful, add three inches to the selected unit's move characteristic until the end of that phase. This basically replaces the free movement phase ability. Instead, you get a three-inch not-advance advance. advance. Um, half of the time. Half the time. This, one of the reasons they did this, and actually uh, Forge the Narrative did an episode where they talk with some of the playtesters the, as they go through this book. And one of the problems, and I'll admit I was part of the problem, Celestine, free movement phase, the, you automatically get an active phase, she moves 12 inches, movement phase, she moves 12 inches, now I will assault <laughs> I first turn assault ev- almost every single game unless my opponent like I, like put themselves on the back like on the back of their deployment zone. So yeah, that's not good. But I think this almost is too harsh a hit for that. Like if that was a six inch movement, it would allow normal sisters to get like double their movement, which would be good but then it would still require like your jump units would only get half of their movement. I think that would be kind of, especially if I've got a roll, if I've got a 50, 50 chance to have this happen. Otherwise, if you're going to make this a three inch movement, I should only have to roll like a three, three inches is not nearly as powerful. So yeah, it's kind of, kind of iffy on that one spirit of the martyr. This is the, uh, regain D three lost wounds or a slain model with one wound remaining. Uh, I like this one. It's only a devotion value three, so it'll happen most of the time. I'm fine. I'm kind of fine with this one. Uh, Ages of the Emperor. Uh, use this act of faith. It's a devotion three. Uh, use this act of faith at the start of your opponent's psychic phase. If successful, then until the end of that phase, roll a D6. Each time the selected unit suffers a mortal wound on a four up, that mortal wound is ignored. Uh, that's a Custodes power, if I remember right. Uh, mortals. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Feel no pain against mortal wounds in the psychic phase, although it's better because I think as toads it's only six up, it's right? Six up. Okay, so this is better than that. It's one way it you know it's it's one way to deal with the fact that you're not a psychic army, and it will help shrug off you know four up feel no pain is pretty solid, and only devotion value three means most of the time it'll go off, so it's n- it's well, not terrible. What I like about it too is it's defense in case you go up against a psychic heavy, heavy army, but. If you're playing Tau, then you just ignore this and you use your faith points for other things. True, true. Uh, divine Guidance, uh, Devotion Value 4, use this act of faith at the start of your shooting phase. If successful, add one to the hit rolls for attacks made with this unit's ranged weapons until the end of the phase. Most sister... Actually, I think pretty much all the sister's units that can shoot and have acts of faith are Ballistic Skill 3, so this pretty much means you're hitting on twos. It's a far cry from a free shooting phase, but... It will m- help make sure your shooting is good. And if you're near a canonist, you're rerolling ones. So you can pretty much guarantee your shots land with this. Um Devotion value four. Again, I think a lot of these I would shift down a point. Although they're one of the orders of sisters that you can belong to adds one to all their test of faith rolls. So you can kind of get that if you play it properly. So it, there's ways to make it work. Uh. I I think this one's really good because that static plus one to shooting, Mm -hmm. when you look at it through other armies and other stratagems that get that, those units tend to be really, really well. Those stratagems tend to be really powerful. True. Because it starts offsetting cover or other minuses to hit. Um, So that's – that plus – that static plus one is really good. And it's – I agree with what you're saying though because if that is a devotion value four where you get about 50% of the time – Plus three inches of movement or plus one to shooting. I'll take the plus one. They are shooting not, a, they are not equivalent abilities. <laughs> no, they are not. Yeah. Now, like I said, if that was a six inch to movement, then I'd be like, yeah, that's that I'd be go, I'd be good with. And yeah. I, I, I will definitely, after playing a few games, I'll probably be sending in some, some uh, feedback. Uh, <laughs> the passion devotion value five. This is the hard one to pull off. Use this act of faith at the start of your fight phase. If successful, the selected unit can be chosen to fight with twice in that phase.
2: Okay, to be fair, this one probably needs to be.
0: It does, and and it does, because of when it happens, it's not like at the start of your turn, it's you get to fight twice, so it could be somebody that's just charged in, so you can can do it at the time, rather than, like, catch up on your turn and get extra attacks, so it is powerful, I will agree with you. But you can't. Comp- you can't. No, don't on bank it. on this at all. You can't bank on it at this all. This is a, a hope and a prayer. Yeah, it's very much. It's a. It's a hail mary play. <laughs> yeah. And then light of the emperor devotion value three use this act of faith at the start of your morale phase if successful the selected unit automatically passes morale tests that one's powerful that's really good that that is very powerful and a devotion value three I mean. That's way cheaper than spending a command point two command points to automatically pass morale. And again, if you are Order of the Ebon or Order of the Ebon Chalice, which is the one that is plus one to all their tests of faith, they're making that on a two up. Yeah, yeah. So th- no, that one's good. The, the The ones I have some concerns concerns with are Hand of the Emperor and I, the Passion. I. The units that can make the most use out of it are the ones that have the hardest time getting the bonus to be able, like, to make it easier to pull off. That yeah. that's kind of where I'm at. And then Shield of Faith is the same as it ever was. It has a, you get a six up and vulnerable and a useless uh, anti-psychic ability. <laughs> Although, okay, I say it's useless. There's a relic <laughs> that gives one of your canonesses like a six-inch bubble of two d six, like a full de- yeah. full deny. Oh, nice. So yeah. that's really good it, if you take the right things. <laughs> and then Zealot, they basically just lock tighten this up, uh, ability up so multiple units have it, which is you can reroll failed hit rolls for this unit in a, in a turn in which it charged, was charged, or heroically intervened.
2: Okay, that's really nice.
0: Yeah, and that's one that uh, like penitent engines have.
2: That's not as yeah. nice.
0: Oh, it's, engines. Oh, are, yeah. engines got better. No, oh, they got a no, lot better. So good. Okay, <laughs> yeah, They're, they were already tough and to deal with. Yeah, they were
1: pretty nasty before. Yeah.
0: So Celestine got some major. Celestine, for one thing, her, her base cost I think went down because she was like, I think she was two hundred points, and then the Gemini were like twenty five each, and then I think at one point she went to one fifty, and they were fifty points each. Now she is one sixty, they are twenty five points each, but the Gemini aren't part of her unit anymore. They are a separate unit. I I kinda
1: I saw this, I noticed this. I kinda like it. I actually, do too. actually because, I do too. Like it makes them more consistent with other like mm-hmm. bodyguards. And they don't systems. take up an elite yes. slot if you take her right. So it is consistent with that. It, it, also, it also it also would actually give you the option of taking them without Celestine. Yes. Not that, that, They're not as useful it, without her. Right. But like it's just another option. Right. So.
0: Um, her abilities are mostly – she can still bring dead Gemini back to life. Uh, she can also heal lost wounds on Gemini, which is actually an improvement. Yeah. Because before, yeah. she could only bring back dead ones. Now, if one's taken a wound, she can, she just heals it full, which yeah. is – and that's if – so she can do one or the other, and she, she like automatically heals them if there are any wounded. Otherwise, she brings one back to life. Right. Uh, she no longer has the free act of faith, which wouldn't make sense in the new system anyway. I'm surprised they didn't give her like some aura of pl- of extra like re- at ad- bonuses to acts of faith, yeah, or extra or like faith a, points, or, or
1: or like a reroll, like failed act of faith. Yeah. Oh wow, that would be good.
0: And yeah. her her uh, now she does have okay. Actually, her her warlord trait. If you make her your warlord. Her ability is at the start of your turn, you roll a D six. If she's on the battlefield, you get a you get on a four up, you get an active, you get a faith point. So she regenerates faith points for you. Okay, so that's kind, but she has to be your warlord. You have to build her that way. Mm, I mean,
1: if you're doing sisters, she's
0: she's she's probably she's probably gonna be your warlord. Now she does not belong to an order. She, does, mm. she never gets an order trait and they have like a whole side list of units that you can have it, in your army that don't make you not Sororitas, right? Or, or <laughs> don't take away your order trait. But yeah, she, uh, and the other thing they changed to her, uh, her miraculous intervention. She still comes back on a two up, but she always comes back as close as possible to where she died. So you can't let her die. Oh, look, I can't place her where she was. I'll slingshot her across the board. <laughs> I, I, i've I've done that i'm i'm not too proud to admit so they toned they toned her down they also took away one of her wounds she's only six wounds instead of seven so Th- celestine was stupid good i will not yeah. deny that so they, they've they kind of toned her down a little bit she's probably where she should be uh the only thing i i
2: just i wouldn't mind if she had an aura ability because most leaders of factions have an aura ability. she does
0: uh she uh imp- uh all uh Units with Shield of Faith around her get a plus one to her invul- their invulnerable saves plus two if you're a Gemini. Yeah. Okay. And then uh, guard and Ministorum units get a six up invulnerable even if they didn't have. So she
2: buffs your invulnerable saves.
0: She bu- yeah. That that's yeah. her that's her aura okay. ability. Okay. i
2: and, and she had that, that before. Good. I'm good with yeah. that.
0: Yeah. And the reason they bumped up the the Gemini get plus two is because they used to have a four up invulnerable save from being part of her unit. Now if they're near her, that suddenly their save goes from a six up to a four up. So it's consistent. You still run a run closer together. It also makes it much easier for like this actually fixes the ITC problem with her where the Gemini keep coming back and would make her like you never take her as a warlord because they'd give Do, up it, King, Maker, King Slayer points. Yeah. So that that's fixed with with this version. Some of the other changes. There's now a instead of having just a generic priest, there's a missionary HQ and then there's a preacher elite. So you've got like two tiers of preachers that do kind of the same things. You can only have one missionary in your army or in your detachment. So they're kind of like Tau Commanders for some reason. But it does give you a cheap HQ choice for this army and still gives you the War Hymn's ability, which is add one to the attacks characteristics of any Adeptus Ministorum, Astro Militarum, Infantry units within six inches of them. So they're still really good. I still really like them. But having it, having a, a cheap HQ option, even cheaper than a can, it's like 10 points cheaper than a canon is, is still good to have and gives you more flexibility.
2: And he keeps them on the battlefield.
0: Yes. Yeah. Um, battle sisters, and you'll see this in a, a number of other armies, they got rid of the imagifiers. So they don't have the character that you put in to get extra acts of faith. Instead, they went back to the way sisters used to be in like sixth edition. Which was the sit that you can take one model with a simulacrum imperialis, which is basically a, a banner, and that adds one to their test of faith. So, with banners in them, you can get some of these acts of faith on like twos, threes, and fours. However, like some of the units like Repentia can't take one, so they'll never get that bonus. So, uh, but regular battle sisters, dominions, Retributors; those units will have the options to have them. You you want those in those units, so that's going to be kind of an add on that you're always going to want to have in your in your squads. Uh, Like I said, the Gemini are separate units, or is a separate unit, and you can take a single Gemini if you wanted to. They're not HQs; they're elites, so I don't know if there's any benefit. But I guess I guess if you could only afford one, and you know squeeze one in with Celestine, it'd be a way to shave off points. Yeah, re- yeah. most of the units are the same. Uh, Mistresses of Repent- Repentance don't take up a slot if you have Repentia from the same order, which is nice, uh, since they're kind of like the upgrade character for that squad, but they're separate because they have very different data sheets. Um, Celestians are like your veteran sisters. They can take more weapons, plus they're also bodyguards for characters. Kind of, ni- It's kind of nice to have a bodyguard, but only for an order, so like you can bodyguard a canonist or something like that. Um, Hospitallers and Dial- Dialogus, which the Dialogus is still in the running for one of the worst models they've ever made. Um, <laughs> those do not belong to a particular order, which is actually fluff a- appropriate because the orders Hospitaller and the orders Dialogus are different from the order, like the battle orders. So they're just there to be like support characters. So it, it's I like how they've kind of worked the fluff into the army into the rules. And, like, the Dialogus, despite the fact that it sucks as a model, actually has a decent rule. Uh, You can reroll failed Test of Faiths for uh, Adeptus Sororitas within six inches of them. And they also add one to the leadership within six inches. So, that's nice. Uh, Arcoflagellants are crazy because they have five-up Feel No Pain and Zealot. And if you have a priest, which includes a missionary or a preacher, they don't take up slots. Uh, same thing with uh, Crusaders and death Cult Assassins. They have the Ecclesiarchy Battle Conclave, which basically says they they, Which also means they won't fill out an army slot, so be careful how you place them. But you can have them, and they all have Zealot. So death Cult Assassins with Zealot is kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, Seraphim, basically the same as they were before, except instead of having re They used to be able to re-roll their uh, invuln saves. They now get plus one, so they have five up... Invulnerable saves four up if they're within six inches of Celestine, and they're also one of the only they're the only army unit in the army that can deep strike. Even Celestine with her wings can't deep strike. Let's see, dominions are the special weapons squad, and they still get their nine inch vanguard movement. They haven't really changed. Exorcists are still great tanks. They're still tough eight, and their their exorcist missiles do D six damage now instead of D three, which I really really like. Um, retributors are still the heavy weapons squad. Uh, you know, again, a lot of these didn't change that much. And then we get to penitent engines and penitent engines are lovely, lovely things. Their are big thing is they're a melee monster unit. They're uh, seven inches of movement, weapon skill three, ballistic skill five, which doesn't matter. They don't, they don't have guns that require them to hit strength five, tough six, seven wounds and a four up armor and four attacks each. Their weapons are Penitent Buzzblades, which are double strength, so they're strength ten, AP minus three, three oh. damage each. And they've got two <laughs> heavy flamers each, so two D six uh, flamer shots that auto hit. So their thing used to be they had Zealot, so they're really good on the assault, and then they had the desperate for redemption rule where like after they attacked, you rolled a D six on a four up, they could attack they could fight again. Now you don't have to roll the four up, they just do it. <laughs> they just always fight twice, like berserkers.
2: But you can try and roll a five up to have them do it a
0: third time. Well, that, that, eh, they don't have orders. They don't have. Oh, they don't, they're
2: you're right. Faiths. They're right. They don't well, have axe of faith. Yeah, faiths. they
0: don't have acts of faith. So no, they they always ah. fight twice. Also, they added a five up feel no pain to them.
2: So four up armor, five up feel no pain.
0: Four up armor, five up feel no pain. Always attacks twice. <sighs> will wreck anything they touch and tough six with seven wounds tough six seven mm. wounds yeah light light weaponry doesn't really hurt them much heavy weaponry will hurt them but a five up feel no pain will shave off a lot of those wounds it will yeah wow. no this they are good they also dropped points by about like they dropped from like 127 points to 100 each they are stupid good i'm glad i have three even though they're one of the worst models to put together because they they even if you buy them off the GW site now, they still haven't done a resin version. They're all still metal.
2: Well, maybe when the plastic ones come out. They,
0: uh, there will be plastic oh, yeah. penitent engines. These things are just too good. They are, they are absolutely f- – I loved them in the Index version. I love these even more. They're fantastic. So like I said, I may not like the active face system that they put in, but I love what they did with these. Because these are one of the scariest units in there. Uh, and, like, you know, I kind of skipped over Repentia. Now, Repentia, their thing is they only have the 6-up invuln because they have a 7-up armor save. Because they don't wear armor. They basically charge into battle naked. Uh, but they've got eviscerators. So they're basically hitting with uh, a damage 2 power fists. Like, strength doubles their strength. So strength 6, AP minus 2, 2 damage and minus 1 to hit. But they're, like, 2 attacks each. If you've got a Mistress of Repentia, they uh, re-roll failed hit, or they re charge and hit rolls. If you put a priest with them, they get an extra attack, so now they're three attacks each. Um, if you pull off the Passion with them, they attack twice. And then, more importantly, if you run them as the Order of the Bloody Rose, add one to the Strength and Attacks characteristic of this model during any turn in which it charged, was charged, performed a heroic intervention. So then, their Strength <laughs> eight. Like, you can get them, like, strength eight, four attacks each, re-rolling to hit. Yeah, they can they can get really nasty really quick. Yeah, the the orders I actually really like. Um, Valorous Heart is a six-up feel-no-pain for everything everything with that order conviction. Uh, Our Martyred Lady, when a unit with this conviction from your army is destroyed, you gain a faith point. So as you die, you get more faith points to try to pull off stuff and keep your army alive. Ebon Chalice, add one to the results of Test of Faith, so you can stack bonuses there to make sure that they're always pulling off acts of faith. Um, Argent shroud. Each time an enemy unit is destroyed by a unit with this conviction, roll a d6 on a 4-up, you gain a faith point. (laughs) Uh, Bloody Rose is the strength and attacks one. And then Sacred Rose. A unit with this conviction can never lose more than a single model as a result of any single failed morale test. In addition, they overwatch on a (laughs) 5-up. That one is... I mean, all of these are good. Uh, Like yeah like all of them fit different play styles if anything, I'd say like the two faith point ones are possibly the weakest ones of the bunch yeah uh Evan chalice is really good, but like yeah I mean there's there's cases to be made for all of them which I like I like it when that when that's a thing that's going on um I'm not gonna go over all the stratagems um just because there's like there's more to cover in the book uh but um cuz we still haven't even gotten army points yet. What, this wasn't a Sisters of uh, Battle uh, codex review? No, it wasn't. But <laughs> I mean, was th-
2: this was our episode within an episode. Right, right. I mean, But
0: um I mean they do have one for st- you can trade a command point for a, a faith point. They have they they give you some there's some like a really nasty one for archer flagellants to just make them attack three times for each attack. <laughs> and then at the end of the r- phase you roll a d like 1d6 for every arcoflagellant and if you roll any sixes the 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 model dies um, you know stuff like that there's a there's a repension one that lets them do mortal wounds after somebody kills them in close combat uh one that's really gotten a lot of attention is blessed bolts uh which if you have storm bolters it makes all these storm bolters in uh, in a unit ap minus two damage two till the rest of the turn <laughs> which i mean There, there's some, there's some good stuff in here. Uh, there will be more coming. Like I said, there's no order specific stratagems yet. And then they've got relics. Uh, one include, increases the, uh, range of the bear's aura abilities by three inches. One restores faith points on a five up if you successfully pass an act of faith. Brazier of Eternal Flames, the one that gives you like a full deny the witch instead of just d6. Uh, one, and then there's a warlord trait that's gonna be really popular. Which one, are you, which one are you looking at? I'm looking – there, was, it there was a – or no, maybe it's a it's a strat – no, sorry. It's a stratagem. That's what I'm thinking about. Vessel of the Emperor's Will. It's a three-command-point stratagem. This is what I was thinking of. Uh, after a character in your army pulls off a test of faith, the act of faith that that character used applies to everybody within six inches of them. So that's to like nice. do the, uh, the, the plus the one shooting one like on a cannonist, and then everybody yeah. around them gets plus one shooting and they're rerolling ones from being near the cannonus anyway. <laughs> or the before or or you could do it to uh like anybody within six inches of me will not fail morale checks because you use it at the start of the morale phase, so you just like everybody within six inches automatically now granted that costs three c p and would get stupid expensive but <laughs> and you can only use an act of fa any given act of faith once it turns so you can only save one unit like on morale with it so
2: yeah but you could do an act of face to save one and then you can spend two c p to
0: if it's yeah and then say yeah so you, you still have options yeah. Or you just play uh, Sacred Rose and oh, I lost. I will, only one person runs away. Uh, let's see, Renegade. So Sisters, I'm I'm curious to see how the Acts of Faith are going to play out. I have my doubts, but I'll give it I'll give it some tries before you know I put in final judgment on it. And they mm-hmm. may and and then we'll see the book probably late next year. I think is when they said it'll be like fall of 2019. But that gives gives some chance to c- get feedback from people and, and see what works and what doesn't, which I appreciate. Uh, let's see. Knights are the renegade Knights are the same as the download. No reason to really go into that. The eight. Uh, I, <laughs> I found it very interesting how they decided to do the eight as a single Lord of war choice. Yes. I think it's I fitting, very though. interesting. It is fitting and it does, it gets around the whole, um, well, you can only have one commander in in a detachment. In fact, they specifically call out the fact that no, this detachment ignores that rule. Also, because of all the uh, relics that are in this detachment, you can't put any... It costs you three CP to use it because that they're basically... They even say it's the same as using the emergency dispensation stratagem and thus you can't put any more relics on anybody else in your army if you use the eight.
3: I'm Not, good with that.
0: Yeah. They all get... Depl- like, they're one unit that you deploy all at the same time, but they don't have to deploy in coherency. Everybody's got, like... And there's drones all over the place. Um, there's a Riptide, there's a Broadside, there's a bunch of commanders including Farsight. And if you include the Eight, Farsight has to be your warlord. Right. And of course you can't take Farsight from the Codex. Right. Well one would think. Yes. <laughs> and then like every one of the characters has a special has a special ability besides the just the standard commander stuff. Including Ovesa, who gets the Earthcast pilot array again, so he shrugs off the mortal wounds from Nova Reactors on a four up. <laughs> Um, there it's, uh, they feel a lot like their older versions and it's kind of cool to see it is. Is it something that's going to be like super, super competitive, powerful? No. Cause they're not optimized commander suits by any means. Like there's, there's no quadruple fusion blasters here or anything like that. <laughs> and but 56 power. And, yeah. And, and 56 power. Also, you can't, uh, no, actually, you can't deep strike them in, I don't believe. Um, it says that you can... At the end of any of your movement phases that you do... Yeah, it says you can mana strike, basically. Oh, oh no, you're yeah. right, you're right. Any character that does so can use the mana strike. So, not all of them can? Yeah, Oblitai doesn't have the fly keyword. The yeah. rest of them do that. Or no, Ovesa does. Or yeah, if a character has the unit, it can fly. So, you deploy them at the same time, but you can deploy some of them up in, 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 in mana strike. Uh, okay, all right, so... yeah. Okay, so actually they've got a lot of flexibility in how you can play them, which is cool. Well, and like I said, it's kind of interesting because going back to the missions for a second, like you're deploying everything army-army <laughs> now. Yeah. He needs missions at least, so it's, yeah, and so it's it doesn't matter. really matter. Well, it, but it also still gives you the option to like, I can put some of them on the ground and then I can have yeah. some of them drop in where I'm going to need them rather than having to have them hoof it across the board. As, exactly. as long as it's only 50%. As long as it's only 50%. Well, in match I mean, play, in narrative right, play or anything, true. it really doesn't matter. Yeah, with... I, you could with this you could only put like two or three of them in. <laughs> Which actually that raises an interesting well no it's based off of points now rather than power. So you'd yes. have to figure out the points value for the individual <laughs> Oh, that's a mess. <laughs> Uh, yeah, because in the in the back of the book, they just list the points for the eight. So as as six yeah. power level, one thousand one hundred and twenty points. Yeah, so. with all their war gear. So <laughs> so you, I don't think in match play you could actually deep strike them because the math is just not good. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I I really I mean they're legal for match play. I really don't think they're intended for match play. They're intended for for narrative fun play.
2: I'm just thrilled to see them and I think
1: they I think they were done well.
0: I, I do. Uh, yeah. I do. I don't you know, yeah, like are they killer? No, absolutely not. But I you, think it, you it's you could fun. just
1: swap the pla their place in the book with the looted wagons.
0: Yeah, there you go. <laughs> 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 Only if looted wagons cost eleven hundred and twenty points. <laughs> Uh, but uh, but I was, yeah I do like having them as an option. I also like the fact that they're like three hundred to four hundred points cheaper than they were before, so you can actually yes. fit in the rest of an army alongside them, which is kind of cool. And then we get to points, and there are a lot of changes, and we're we're not going to be able to dig into all of them, but uh, some armies definitely got uh, significant point drops on things, and. Or or maybe not even like huge, individually huge point drops, but enough small to medium sized drops that it makes a noticeable difference. We've already talked about some of the differences that happen with Space Marines, and especially Primaris Space Marines. There's a lot, like, I've been working on, like, I was working on a Primaris Blood Angels list, and it was coming in around like 1900 something. Not enough points to put in a lot of other stuff, especially Primaris-wise, but... You know, so I didn't have a lot of, you know, it's like, what do I put in to keep the theme here that still makes it work? Now, if I build that same list, I'm like less than 1800 points. <laughs> and so I'm like, now I've got the points to throw in like a big uni- like a, a large unit of aggressors or maybe try some inceptors or things like that. I've got room for options, which is really yeah. cool.
2: Or going by giant point drops, because I I'll, I'll focused on the ones I play a lot. Yeah. Demons. demonets went down from seven to six. That doesn't sound like much, but a squad of thirty just dropped from two hundred and ten to one hundred and eighty. That's a big yeah. difference. Um, remember how I always complained about the um, keeper of secrets? Just they weren't worth it because demon princes cost less, did more. You couldn't shoot them. Yeah, keepers of secrets are now less points than a demon prince. That's good. That is very good because the, there's still too many wounds that so they're going to get shot out of the sky or the ground. But at least I don't feel bad for them dying. Right. And then, um, like the Soul Reaper, not Soul Reapers, Soul Grinders. Soul Grinders, <laughs> they also went
0: down. So my complaints about having Shooty for the army might be <laughs>
2: finally addressed. Maybe if I decide to take those.
0: Yeah, and well, Defilers, I think went down, and also their 120 point space before weapons. Yeah, so a
2: lot of changes there. And then the other big one was Eldar, which we got the like the some things went up, which we kind of already knew about, like um, Dark Reapers, Psychers, Shining Spear. Shining Spears. But as they announced on the communities page, yeah, the, the Wraith Knight, it went down 87 points. So I remember how I always complained that it was about 100 points too much. I think they, they fixed that. And now, like, my four Wraith Knights that I own, which kitted out as they are, are about 2,187 points.
0: Before Chapter Before
2: Chapter Proved are now only 1,718 points.
0: That's a slight difference. Slight <laughs> slight. now legal army difference.
2: Yeah, I can actually run four of them in a super heavy. Yep. <laughs> I'm I'm actually kind of excited about that. Because I was also afraid that the Scathic Wraith Knight would not get the treatment because it was Forge World. No, it also dropped by 100 points in base. Mm-hmm. So...
0: Well, and I think they saw that these units were not being used because they Ever. were because they were way overcosted for what you got, especially considering a comparable knight did more and cost less in some cases.
2: I think mm-hmm. that's still kind of the case. I think knights have more kill potential, and the knights having the built-in half invulnerable save will do better than in, when a wraith knight who does not have an invulnerable save. So we'll see how it it plays out. But I, I was very, very thrilled that the Wraith, um, and also Wraith Lords and the Wraith Seer also got drops. So that was good to see. And half the named characters, like Avatar, Eldrad, um, Jane Czar, um, Karandas, they, they all dropped in points, about 10 to 25 points each. So just kind of like you'll see across the board changes on a lot of things, which went
0: down. Now, there are a few things that did go up. Like Bobby G is went up from 385 to 400. I'm fine with that. Uh, Blood Angels, a lot of the named characters dropped, except for Mephiston. He went up to 160. But you know, they're looking at like who are the heavy hitters, who are the big movers in these armies that are you know getting a lot of play. Maybe those guys need to be a little bit more expensive because they're they're just seeing use a lot and they're they're punching above their weight class a bit. And sometimes you know it's not a, these aren't huge changes for the for a lot of cases, although. Uh, Some things, you know, there's some noticeable changes like Redemptor Dreads and Repulsors dropped like 30 to 50 points when you figure in all mm-hmm. the... Because wa- it's not just that they dropped, like, they peeled six points off the heavy onslaught Gatling cannon. They pulled, uh, th- like, a lot of the special weapons, like guns, Flamers, Heavy Flamers, lost three, like three points each on average and that's across all the armies
2: okay if we're talking about that I, i'll toss in my harlequins i'm still not happy with fusion pistols went down I'm, I'm kind of fine with that they didn't need to go down but sure but now there's still no reason to take a neuro disruptor because fusion pistols are still so much better and cheaper, cheaper
0: yeah <laughs> richard you went
1: through and actually updated your granite's codex by hand yes because let's see Units that did not get a points change the the Nemesis Dread Knight, uh, Purgation Squad, a Rhino, uh Stormhawk Interceptor, Storm Talon Gunship, and the Strike Squad. That's it. That's it. Everything mm-hmm. else went down. And not and, by a small margin in some it, cases. In su- in most cases considerably. Like uh
0: like, how much was your Land Raider before? This is something else that went down across, like, all the... Uh, yeah.
1: Uh, the Land Raider, like the standard ba- Land Raider... Like, just the base cost. uh, Is 239 It's 200 now.
2: Yep. Yeah, because you did not see a single Land Raider mm, on the board. They're way really. too expensive. No, not at all.
0: And, and to be honest, they're still probably too expensive, but... But, <laughs> yeah, like, when you figure went, in some of the other other things that dropped, too, like, point-wise... Oh, yeah.
2: well, if you want to talk about one thing that didn't drop, which I'm going to complain about.
0: What's that? Was and all the other named demons from Forge yeah, World? Yeah, <laughs> they didn't change. You know what did change from Forge World though? The Townar. So yeah, and that's actually between okay. So town the Townar in the original index was seven hundred and forty-five points base before all its weapons, uh, which ended up putting it at like around like just shy of twelve hundred points. And then in Chapter Approved 2017, they're like, you know what? This thing is Titan level. We should raise the points on it. And they doubled it to like 1,500 base to the point where it was not viable in a 2,000-point army. It was only Apocalypse at that point, which, okay, fine, I guess. Sure. Well, they decided that that was an overcorrection. So they (laughs) they revised the price. So now it still has gone up over the original index by five points. It is now only 750. So, okay. if you want to consider that a drop from Chapter Approved seventeen eighteen, which it I is, will. that will. that is a that is that is probably the biggest single drop for any model.
2: Oh yeah, the <laughs> the biggest increase I saw. I might be wrong because there might be all more, but the Eldar Revenant Titan went up from twelve hundred to two thousand, so eight hundred <laughs> point increase. That
0: that is probably one of the bigger ones. Yeah.
2: yeah. But as you said earlier, Rob, it put it on par with the Warhound Titan. So
0: yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah, it, that's about where it's where something like that is an actual Titan Titan. That's probably where it should be. Um, <laughs> other Tau stuff like getting into the, the main uh, 40k stuff. A lot of their a lot of the battle suits dropped in price. Like the broadside went from 60 to 35. Crisis suits went from like 35 to 27. Uh, Devilfish dropped about 10 points. Uh, Ghost Keels dropped in points. Uh, oh, yeah. Farsight dropped down to 125. Shadow Sun dropped to 110, which was like almost a 50 point drop or something. It's, it's... Yeah, 57 points. Yeah, she, I mean, that's a huge drop. That is a huge yeah. drop. Um, a lot of the war gear had a few points here and there peeled off of it. So, uh, you know people are starting to look at crisis suits again as a possible ar- army option broadsides are looking like uh, i mean there's the weapons are still expensive on like especially on broadsides but that's enough of a point drop that like you can include one and not feel like you're having to give up a lot of other stuff to fit it in. And I think that's really where a lot of these point drops are is that they're going they're They're bringing some of those options that were just not nearly efficient enough back into the fold and making them more reasonable. And that's, I think they're hitting a lot of these where they need to be. Um, Now, some armies like Necron's got a number of point drops. People are still not happy with where they are. Yeah. so i i don't know if the necron change is enough I, again these just hit we'll have to see how they actually play out and may, I one of the things about these point changes is that it should make other options more like options that weren't viable before more viable and so it may be a case of the changes are there we just haven't like The the you know somebody hasn't quite the phrase I've heard is like seen the matrix like seen the code behind the matrix and figured out okay this these points now unlock this this combination that is far more effective. So here's my concern with what they've (laughs) across the board with this. I agree that yes, okay, cool. Crisis suits now cost a lot more, a lot less, so they become a more viable option. But also so did fire warriors and breacher squads and ghost keels and rip. So it's like, well, no, they didn't, they didn't drop across. They didn't drop. Well, just like in general, like across the board, everything dropped. So I don't know. Well, no, like like strike squads and stuff didn't change. Well, uh, uh, okay, sure. uh, Okay, sure. I guess specifically they didn't change, but like these, uh, these elements that changed and like that dropped, like I, I, it's one of those things where it's almost, it's almost kind of akin to dropping a new addition on us because they dropped across the board in every faction. Half the units or whatever dropped 25 percent, you know, 20 to 15 to 20 percent in points. So like it's one of those where it's hard to say like, well, yeah, Necrons, they got these point drops, but so did everything else. So, yeah, you go into a Necron, you go into a table with the Necrons now and you basically are running 250 points more of stuff, but so's your opponent. So I, I don't. That's my concern. Is I don't know if just straight point drops across the board, like they did, are gonna help the way they intend it to. Well, I, think I do it, think there's nice things in there. Like I think the the one I was surprised with was like the the name characters across the board just all got reduced a lot. And I think that's nice because the name characters do provide like unique stuff. But some of the other stuff that changed, I, I'm I'm a little bit concerned that it's just going to. You're just going to wind up seeing more stuff on the table. I don't know if you're going to wind up seeing different stuff. I, I think I'll agree and, and halfway disagree. I, I do think, because
2: I mentioned this to Rob and Richard earlier, is like if we have point drops across everywhere, we're going to see more stuff on the table. Is that going to lead to longer games? Mm-hmm. But if you look at it, though, it's like you said, it's not everything, it's targeted things were dropped. And it might put more stuff on the table, but it might put different stuff on the table. Like, I'll use Eldar for an example. Warwalkers dropped so much. I mean, it was only a 10-point drop, but they're 40 points now for a Warwalker. That can put, like, a few of them on the table. And have you seen any of them recently? No, not at all. Right. And they used to be, like, a staple of the Eldar armies. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think we will start seeing different things because the point drops are getting big enough where some of these... Um, vehicles or some of these units with um, the right war gear are going to be points efficient.
0: I hope so. Yeah, I I I don't think it's necessarily I mean, yes, there will be the cases where people look at the, you know, like and it also depends on the army, like with like Chaos Demons, the answer to do you know? Like, I freed up a bunch of points. That's generally means more bodies because a lot. Of, that's I don't all nece- we have, right? Well, exactly, <laughs> right. and that's what I'm yeah. saying. is like, but you are also already looking at the option of no. I can actually run two keepers of secrets now, and they're mm-hmm. a viable choice, and still have demon princes and stuff. Yeah, like-
2: they'll still die quickly. <laughs> they'll but- <laughs> still die quickly,
0: but the the points that have been freed up by your demonettes getting cheaper and your other well, things getting yeah. cheaper look, they free up options. Or now you're like, well, maybe I can put in a Soul Grinder now because it's cheaper and the other things have been cheaper and I can slot it in and maybe have some shooting.
2: Or maybe I can put Seracneal in and cry because she's over Well, that doesn't
0: <laughs> – <laughs> you were doing that already. I know. But, but no, it, it's – yeah, it's it's the fact that some of these changes are targeted on things that, like – we sh- like, for example, I'm going to say the Repulsor. The Repulsor is a vehicle that we've looked at. You know, people have sent us in lists. We've talked about it, but to- uh, you know, a number of times. And we're like, the Repulsor is just too overcosted for what it does, what it brings to the table. It's just, in many cases, it's just not worth it unless you're dedicated on having like an all Primaris army. Now, mm-hmm. with some of the drops on some of the weaponry and with the core, like the point value drop on the just the core unit, it's like. No, I can actually see putting this thing in as a gunship now because I'm not losing so many points that I have to cut like I can't take care – Like, or I can take that and now I can throw in a lieutenant too to mm-hmm. like sit back with my Hellblasters that I couldn't afford before or, or stuff like that. It's it's See, and, that's, and I guess that's the thing for me where it's like I would l- I would like to think that that's how it's going to play out and you're going to see more of those repulsors. But I think you're just going to wind up seeing more intercessors and more Hellblasters. Because, in, you know, at the core of the game right now, infantry is still better. Well, and so I, yeah. I mean, well, also consider things that didn't show the- Hellblasters blasters did not change in price. And a 10 man squad of hell blasters is still like 330 points. True. So yeah. you're not going to get so much savings that you're going to be able to, like, throw in a second unit of that. But maybe you can move that five man unit up to 10. Or yeah. maybe, but or like maybe it's like I want to figure out some. Maybe yeah. I am going to throw in a unit of Reavers that I couldn't afford before, a unit of Aggressors, or um, maybe it now now looking at a Redemptor Dread, maybe I do put in a Redemptor Dread instead of a standard Dread because it's not that much more expensive. Uh, you know, it's it's changes yeah. like that. It's like do these new op- are these new options more viable? And then you still have the option of, or maybe I just put in more of what I already have so that that's viable as well too, yeah, but it does also lead to and it's too early yet to see because obviously this book just came out this weekend, <laughs> right now True. granted the like as soon as the review embargo lifted, and even like a day or two before that, there were points value like points values were getting spoiled a s a p nothing else was, but points values were getting spoiled, and so people have been having you know have had a chance to kind of theory craft and with this for a while for like a week or two but we haven't yet seen what is this going to do to the to like the competitive meta how is this right. going to change up how people build armies uh now one thing that didn't change really at all was power level so narrative yeah. play open play those aren't really affected by this at all unless you're doing points for narrative play as well which you totally can it's a totally viable option
2: well, there were some for open play like the eight have arc you can do
0: something. well but you know what i mean it's like <laughs> yes, I they haven't sh- like the they haven't shifted power level on anything outside of like codex chain like you know when a new codex comes out and they just like like orc boys went up in cost and points but dropped in power level you know we you know that's something where maybe it's time to reevaluate power level or maybe cuz one thing that didn't change was like you know the weapon options are still the same the unit survivability is still the same so power level really didn't change it's just for match play they wanted to be people to be able to they wanted to encourage the use of things that weren't getting used as much as they probably needed to because they cost too much they didn't get mm-hmm. the point values right because again they can Even if GW had the best playtesters in in house, and even with the circle of playtesters they do have around the around the globe, that's still not the data point size that you need. That you get from here are hundreds of turn like here are dozens of tournaments running every day with hundreds of players running these armies through multiple games each day, and here's the results that we're seeing. The tournament circuit. For, for, for good or for ill, you know, whatever you think of competitive play, it has been the biggest effectively, you know, beta test pool for this rule set. And it's giving them data on, it, especially for match play of what is and isn't working and what needs to be adjusted. What's too good? What if this was less expensive? Maybe we'd see some people using this and figure out new ways to do it. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm hoping that is what comes out of this. No, I, I, I am too. I just, It's one of those where, like, I look at armies that were really struggling, like Grey Knights and Necrons, for example, and it's like, okay, cool. Yeah, you got 20 to 25% point reduction, so now you can take more warriors or more, you know, strike squads. But does that really fix why those armies weren't doing well before? I don't know that just putting in a few extra bodies makes those are like, I I think there's a couple of cases where there's something that's fundamentally lacking in those armies that probably needs to be adjusted. And, and I get, you know, and I get it. That's you do the points adjustments first because that's the easiest one to do. Right. It's, it's easier to adjust the, the like adjust how many of something can be taken Mm -hmm. before you get into retooling the whole rules. Yeah. Which is why they also did give us a number of data sheets at the end of the book uh like intercessors they basically updated them to have all the options that were brought in for like death watch especially yep. in sergeant so just unifying all that and they even say like hey, you know where it says chapter insert blood angels space wolves etc here uh fiends and fleshhounds got updated with the uh basically the rules they're going to be in wrath and rapture because they now have uh sergeant models well fleshhounds don't but uh fiends do fiends yeah. Uh, horrors. And Plus, has got, got like a flamer too, which is interesting. Yeah. <laughs> uh, hor- uh, like pink horrors got a new data sheet because they said we've printed three distinct, different pink horror data sheets amongst codexes, and we need to clear. We need to unify them into one, which gets rid <laughs> of the old problem of having two different rune priests running around. You know, they they say yeah. these data sheets replace the data sheets in the books they printed in. So they are putting them in one place and saying, this is the definitive data sheet, which I really do appreciate. Yeah. And then blood crushers are like, blood crushers suck. Here's a new data sheet. Well, and they're also, they're also in the wrath and rapture box. So maybe something changed. I don't know. Blood crushers suck. So I didn't look well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. They're like, since codex chaos demons was released, we have received lots of feedback about blood crushers and have decided to improve their profile. So it's like, yeah. yeah, everyone keeps telling us these suck. So we're we're gonna we're gonna tweak these a bit. Or Are you gonna see what's different? Yeah, I was gonna like see because I I meant to actually crack it open and look at what was different. I just was like, they're blood crushers. They suck. I don't really care. But <laughs> since I have the book here, let me see. And of course, I forgot this demon book is laid out. Yeah, so you're looking out. in your elite section. Nothing changed. R- what? Nothing changed. Really. Yeah, nothing changed. Okay, did anything change in their stat line? No? No. What about their weapons? No. Hellblade still does two damage Hellblade. instead of one on a six-up? Yep. Uh, Juggernaut's uh, Bladed Horn does three additional attacks? Yep, three additional attacks. Strength. Uh, Wargear options are the same. Symmonic icons, the same. Yeah, they didn't change at all. Really? I don't know why they reprinted that, because they didn't change at all. <laughs> that can't possibly be right. Uh, unless I got an uh, unless they updated the print version of my book,
2: <laughs> man, they're really good at that.
0: Oh, they gave them okay. That's what they changed. They gave them the faction keyword bloodletter. So I think there's now bloodletter stratagems will work on them. Is that it? I think that's it. I think that's the only thing that changed. That is the only difference I can find. That they gave them a they gave him the keyword bloodletter, which, like I said, now means that there's some demon strategies that you can use on bloodletters that ch- which will also impact them. But that's it. That's the only change. <laughs> wow. Um, I would think there would be more to it than that. Nope. <laughs> uh, Bloodhunter, two blood crushers. Yeah, I mean, you're welcome to look it up as well. No, no, I, I'm looking I, at it right look. now. That seems like, yeah. I mean, I, I would nothing. think there would be there would be more to it than that. Okay. I would have thought so too, but it's like flesh hounds. <laughs> um, they've got one more wound each. Blood crushers. Blood crushers. They were three wounds each. They're four wounds each now oh okay yeah okay good okay i didn't i must have skipped over that when i looked at it yeah so one more okay, okay. so one more wound. So one extra wound and they count as blood letters okay that's better uh it yeah. gives them a bit more staying power that's you know yeah because they're because they're still a really weak unit right like, they're not they're not a very tough unit so yeah the extra wound's nice so yeah that's it though yeah so okay well that's still, may- still oh. not still not gonna see him <laughs> Did their point cost go down, though? Oh, I'm sure their point cost went down. Blood Blood crushers went down. Nope. Exactly the same. There's still 47 points. 47 points. (laughs) Then why are they listed? I guess because they've got a new data sheet. I guess it's listed. I mean, I think it's I think it's part of it because blood crushers. ah, Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, it's it's, like I said, it's it's one wound and it's one keyword. I don't I don't know. I guess I'm willing to bet they printed it in in Wrath and and Rapture as well, and they just wanted to... Here's the updated one out there in the world for everyone as well. So, I I like the bookkeeping, but need probably more of a change. (laughs) That is weird that they they would bother putting the point cost in here and not change it at all. Yep, I agree. That is weird. Uh, Yeah, okay, so... Well done, GW. Unless... Okay, no because if it was printed in the codex because I'm like well maybe it was changed in 2017 and they just rolled no wait it was printed in the codex so why would they keep the change If uh, what do you bet there's going to be a chapter approved errata that fixes that oh probably probably <laughs> All right. So, other other than that, on the whole, I think chapter, I think the 2018 chapter approved is really good, and there's a lot of stuff in there I really yeah, do like.
2: It gets my approval.
0: Yeah, There's it, a lot. It, yeah. it, it gets podcast approval for chapter approval. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I like the new. I like the cities of death stuff. I want to see the cover system rolled into forty you know, into core 40k. I really like the new missions. Um, I like some of the sisters codex. I'll hold withhold judgment on the rest. And I think the points changes are overall positive, although and I understand where you're coming from, Kevin, of hoping it's not just leading to more of the same things. But I, I think yeah. I think it it will unlock more options and it's we'll we'll see where, how it shakes out the meta. And, and I, s- yeah, I hope it does. Like, I hope it I hope it changes the way the game's played. I I am interested to see how it plays out. And with that, I think we can, uh, move on to hobby progress and wrap up the show. Um, as far as hobby progress, I have none. Absolutely none. I have not done anything other than pick up the 500, 500 store model that finally came in. <laughs> that, that's the only thing I've done. Um, I, again, it has been, like, it's starting to warm up a bit so I can start working in the garage. And then, like, everybody in my family got sick. So I haven't, we haven't, I have had no hobby progress. So. I nice. suck. <laughs> I actually haven't done a lot either. I've been super busy with work and travel and stuff, uh and the holidays. I've basically just been trying to put together lists for LVO. I'm trying to decide between taking a Micah Stodes, uh doing a painting finishing painting up my Berserkers and taking a war leader's army, and or well, war I guess. Uh or grabbing the eight when I come home for Christmas and painting them up and taking a Tau army. But I don't know. I am I got to decide, <laughs> especially since I only have like a month and a half to figure out. Yeah, you should get that figured out soon. Yeah, I, I work best under pressure.
2: <laughs> well, I'll go ahead and make it kind of three for three with, with holiday stuff and my symphony having performance. I have done nothing the past two weeks in hobby.
0: I have a feeling we're all going to be rolling out the new year like Okay, let's start doing hobby stuff. <laughs>
2: probably because yeah. the next two weeks are going to be holiday stuff with families and things, yeah. so not a lot's going to probably happen then either.
1: Yeah, I worked sixty-two yeah. hours this last week, so um, I,
0: yeah, so so, yeah. Yeah. so, yeah. so no hobby was- across the board for us. At least we don't have to eat hats like in the past. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, why, that's why if you never make any goals, you'll never be disappointed. <laughs> I thought a lot about a hockey progress over the last couple of weeks. Oh yeah, I've I've thought about yeah. stuff and I I'm probably going to um you know, I'm gonna start probably putting together my some of my uh, Blood Angel Premier well, stuff soon, but I've got actually, other things I need to paint too. Actually I do have Hobby Progress because I've missed last week last episode. Oh that's true. I put together, I put together Blackstone Fortress. Oh so very good. Yeah, the entire fortress? Yes, the entire fortress. Wow. All of it. All of it. He can only play it once though. Yeah. <laughs> all the all the all the boards are glued together now. It's stuck.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. And on that note, uh with the holidays coming up, because uh this episode will be out before Christmas. Uh, From all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm Rob, Kevin,
1: Dennis, and Richard.
0: Good night, good gaming, and Merry Christmas, everybody. Have happy holidays.